the Do Big Things podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts. What's up, brother? Hey, how you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Long time no talk. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I just think I think I think we did the last podcast together before I actually started. We did, yeah. So a couple days before I headed out there, I think it was like maybe end start of April or something. Yeah, like I don't even think you'd linked up with bigger than the trail yet. No, no, um, no. yeah, and. Uh, but yeah, it was like right before. And so, yeah, man, just ca- I'm guessing a lot has happened since the last time we've talked clearly, <laughs> but catch me up, man. I mean, uh, the last time I talked to you, you were setting out to do the world's largest triathlon, man. And uh, yeah. I've, I've been following along on Instagram and the pictures, some of the pictures look incredible, man. I mean, there a lot of pictures of you taping up your feet, sleeping on the side <laughs> of the road, popping blisters, running on crutches, like everything. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't a lot even more know. Than a bargain. Oh, I can only imagine. And remind me on the mileage. Uh, I mean, I think that if I tell me if I have the mileage, right, was it a 32 mile swim, 3000 mile cycle, 600 mile run. So the swim, I would say that it was about 32. Um, you know, it's so hard with the ocean. It just kind of went off what my watch said. Yeah. Um, but it's so tough because I, I was talking to my coach, Laura, about it. She was like, you know, open water swimmers don't measure by miles because it's like you're sometimes you're swimming against the current. You're not always going with it. And so you say 32 and, you know, three and a half days, people are like, oh, it's not very much. But it's like the first two days were gnarly. I mean, I couldn't tell because I was in the water. I didn't know how bad it was, but I could feel it throwing me around. But they're like, the captain was asking if I should be pulled out of the water. Um, they're like, nah, just leave him. There's times where they said where I went to go stroke and I would just not grab anything. It would just be air. Cause I'd be on the side of a wave. And so the first two days were gnarly in the water. Um, the bike, I would say it was just under 2,900. Okay. Um, 2,850 or 2,900. So somewhere around there. And the Slacker. run was, Slacker. the run was, yeah, 601.23. <laughs> I'm going to keep okay. that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> nice, yeah. man. And, uh, as far as we know, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that the world's largest triathlon? Largest continuous. So, continuous. um, okay. I had talked, I had, uh, applied with Guinness beforehand. And the issue with Guinness is that whatever you say you're going to do, you have to do it. So, that's why it's not going to be in Guinness anymore is I had said I was going to get a 50 mile swim. And I always said 50 to 60, just because of, you know, the current throwing me around in different, you know, trajectories, whatever. And the fact that I didn't do that, um, it immediately voids that out. So, you know, it's technically will never be in a book. So kind of stinks, but whatever, it wasn't what I was doing it for, but it was cool caveat, I guess. Yeah. And you're no stranger to going out and doing doing big things, doing crazy things. Like I remember you telling me stories about like pulling trucks for a marathon and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, um, I mean, first of all, to, to anyone listening, I'm guessing the first question is like, why, why are you doing this? (laughs) 
Oh man. Uh, I guess just to find the human potential of what we're actually all capable of. Um, you know, there's no, there's no strange or there's no, you know, I guess, yeah, I'm not a stranger to mental health and, uh, trying to take my own life a couple times. And after surviving that and coming through it, like, just want to keep pushing myself and see where, where's my line, where, what's going to break me eventually. I just want to keep getting mentally tougher and stronger to this. When I have those dark times, I'm going to remember like, man, I've been through so much more than this. And I remember, I'm going to remember that time when I, you know, uh, was in the water and I was falling asleep and I just wanted it to end. Even on day two, I wanted it to end or day one, I fell asleep in the water. Um, day three or, you know, anything on a bike or, a hundred miles into the run, I broke my foot or fractured my foot and still had to go another 500 on it. And just when I get into those dark times in my life, when I think like, I just want to end it all remembering that, like I'm tougher than this. Like I've been through those days where I didn't think I could make it one more step, but like I did, I did one more step and just putting those little steps together is eventually going to get you to the finish line. And these, you know, events, these challenges or these shenanigans are all just kind of, you know, like the embodiment of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I respect that to the, to the nth degree. And, and so you're raising money for bigger than the trail now. Um, but you haven't always been working with them. So were you always trying to raise money or were you, uh, in no offense. And I think I know the answer to this, but I'm just throwing it out. Were you, was this your ego that wanted to make you pull your truck for a marathon or like, like why, like what's going on? Um, so I haven't always worked bigger than the trail. It was really hard for me to partner. I don't trust very well. Um, I people or things. Um, it's just kind of like, I didn't, I'd call around, talk to other like mental health organizations. I just couldn't get like a full answer on where they were going to. And it was more so like, okay, well, if you raise X amount, you can partner with us. And I'm like, I don't know how much I can raise. And I can't, I can't prove that. Like, the, okay. the ROI is undefined. I don't know. So mm-hmm. it just kind of, you have to see where it goes. And they were, super kind about it they're like yeah man like whatever you can raise like dude it's appreciated thank you and so i'm like i see where that where it was going to i see where the money was going to and i see who the people were and i got on the phone i got on the phone with tommy like you know people who were at the head of it and like respected it and yeah. wanted to be a part of it versus i talked to other organizations and i just got kind of handed off down the line and uh i just wanted more connection with who i was helping i knew where everything was going so this was for them uh it took a while for me to finally pick somebody uh, I just wanted to make sure I was getting in it with the right people. Uh, I didn't want to, you know, go down the wrong path and um, as well as fundraising for the production of this, because all of it came out of my pocket, whether it was, you know, the thousand dollars a day for the boat, um, the nine, 10 grand that the RV cost, and then the gas going across country, the food for everybody, the gas for everybody. Like I took a year off of work. I haven't worked in over a year now and still haven't worked and it come, I work in October finally. So that's nice. I get to finally fix some of this debt, but, um, was any fundraising I was doing like beforehand was trying to help me not get so far down in the hole to where I can bounce back and I can do another event for the same cause and not have to, you know, kind of live off top ramen for the next two years and then (laughs) do it again. Hopefully I can do it again quicker and just keep the momentum going, keep the train going. But, uh, the ego thing is always, you know, it's always a question, like some of, I guess what we all do, we all have to do it for an ego of some way. Uh, I guess it just depends if, is it for the right reason or are you doing it for the, for good or for evil? Like, I guess the same thing with like narcissism, you know, I always say this, like I am narcissistic. There's no doubt about it. I, when I start something, I believe that I'm the best at it. 
because I want to be the best. I don't, I'm not going to go into anything and just half-ass it, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali. You want to talk Derek Jeter, uh, the, the Williams sisters, like all of them are narcissistic, narcissistic. Yeah, because totally. they all believed before they were who they were before Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan. He believed he was the greatest. Mm-hmm. It's like, Nobody knew he were. You weren't. He wasn't Michael Jordan. Like he was a kid who got, you know, didn't even make, you know, his freshman year. And but he still believed he's the best. And that was what you. He didn't accidentally go win all these rings. He didn't go. Oh well, it'd be cool to win some titles. Like no, he believed he was the best from when he was a little kid shooting hoops on a chain on a chain link rim. Like it's what you have to do, and that's what I want to believe. Whether I'm, I'm not going to be the best. Like you know but I'm going to keep telling myself I am and I'm going to fully believe it. And it's what I have to do personally in order to get myself across the finish line of whatever I'm doing. If I'm pulling a truck, I'm going to fully believe that I'm the most talented or gifted or hardworking individual in the world that can get this done. And I'm not going to accidentally pull it for 26 miles. Like I'm going to have to believe that in my head that I am the person to do this and what I'm doing it for is the right reason. Like so many times I've wanted to give up on the triathlon, like, it was for mental health. I kept thinking like, nah, man, there's one more person. I'd fight for one more day. And another message would come in like, man, like I see you with your foot completely like twisted to the side. You can't walk on it. You're hobbling. You still have 500 miles to go. I signed up for my first marathon. I know I can't run it, but like, if you can hobble 50 miles today, like I can go run my first marathon at 50 years old. And I was like, man, that's so cool. Like, I just love that somebody went out and did that. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't take credit in that. I have to give them all the credit because they're the ones who, who, you know, press the button, you know, yeah. who signed up and did it themselves. And it's so cool. And so the next day, another one would come in and another one would come in. And like, these people are just inspiring me to keep going. Cause if I would have stopped two days ago, this person wouldn't have seen it. This person wouldn't have gone out and done something they never thought was possible and, you know, help them for their mental health. Somebody was like, you know, I went off antidepressants. Uh, I started running because of this. And it's like, that's just so cool. And I, I can't stop, you know, so ego in some sense, but also like, I just wanted to help people. I wanted to give people some sliver of hope that no matter what we're fighting through right now, like we can, we can get through it always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And this has been brought up on this podcast before, like ego got me to the start of my first ultra marathon because I wanted to be the guy that could run the super long distance and then just have that on my life resume, you know, but the more miles I ended up putting on the ego got stripped away, man. I ended up not doing a lot of ultra marathons for ego as my career kind of went on and the ego just kind of went away and I was just doing it just to do it just for the experience, just Mm -hmm. like you said, to find my human potential. And then there comes a point where you're like doing it for someone else or to teach someone else or to show someone else. And then that becomes the new reason that becomes the new why. So, um, I totally get it. It totally makes sense, man. Yeah. I think the, the intrinsic, the ego is that intrinsic motivation Mm -hmm. to get to the start line. Your intrinsic motivation gets you 20 miles, but I think the extrinsic motivation, which is helping somebody else gets you that next 80 to finish your first hundred or whatever it is like intrinsic only gets you so far. And that's why I think, you know, I don't know. I know DNFs happen for several, several reasons, but I think a lot of people who start with ego, like that's not, that's not going to get you to the finish line. Like you have to have something out there that's pushing you. That's bigger than yourself. hundred percent, hundred percent. So you mentioned that you've had your own struggles with mental health. 
And this has also come up on the podcast before, but I wanted to ask you, like having such a huge endeavor before you and the ramp up to that and the buildup and the excitement and then the adrenaline and just going through the grind day after day, getting all these miles in and then being just done. (laughs) Usually there's a big drop off there where there's a big depression. Um, Is that something you experienced or what was that like for you personally? Yeah, definitely. It was kind of like a nice trickle effect once I finished because, uh, I finished on Thursday afternoon. Um, and then Friday I went out for a run again. Once I finished, I went out for like a two mile run the next day. Um, and then Sunday I had a buddy running the Tahoe 200 and I I went ready, man. I was, I wanted to pace him, but he's like, Oh, we have all our pacers, but if you want to come out and like just support more than welcome. So I did. Was that Hector? Uh, no, no. Uh, our buddy, um, Aaron. So one of, one of our buddies, uh, mutual friends and, uh, yeah, he, his pacer dropped out from a 3am to 11am segment for 20 miles. And I was like, sign me up coach. I'm here. I'm in. Yeah. So, you know, Sunday I went and ran out with him and, uh, you know, it was, obviously was, I think was a good, like, you know, I'm coming off of it and like easing my way back into normal life, have a couple of days off, go back into that and helping him. And, uh, and then the next week was just trying to process it. Yeah. There's times where I would just lay there on the floor, like, how do I thank everybody for this? Like I wouldn't have got here without everybody, uh, without my crew, without people who came in throughout it, uh, just to support for a day or a couple days, three, four days cycling with me or running with me. Yeah. I think that was the hard part is trying to process all the love that I received and like, I'm not used to. So that was a big emotional thing, just trying to process. And I'm still trying to process it. Honestly, uh, all the physical injuries that I have now and the emotional kind of toll that's on me. It's been, it's been hard. It's been uh, some really, really low points. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just trying to paint a picture for anybody listening. So you set out to do this thing, the world's largest triathlon and you quit your job. And in order to do this, you racked up a ton of debt (laughs) and you brought all these people out who are also probably taking time away from work and mm-hmm. taking time away from their family. Like, I guess I'm just coming back to the question. Like, what's your, why? Like, I, I realize that you're raising money, but mm-hmm. um, is there a bigger answer or can we dig deeper there? Or do you have another answer? Uh, I don't know if I have another answer. I just want to help people. I want to give people inspiration yeah. to just keep going. Like I wanted to give up so many freaking times. And my crew wouldn't let me, I'd ask them like, Hey, is all right if we jump, you know, can we start up in Monterey? Because the, the, the coast was killing me. Like it was hurting my feet. It was shattering my feet because it was just at a slant the whole time for 80 miles. I'm like, can we just start Monterey? I'll just, I'll do 10 laps on the bridge to make up for my miles that I skipped. Like, please. And nobody would let me. And I'm like, this is, it's just the metaphor for life. Like we can't skip ahead. We can't jump past the hard parts. We have to keep fighting through them. And so that's my why, like, you know, we need to keep fighting through the tough times and we can't just give up and try to make, you know, a negotiation to do it later. Like we need to just, whatever we're going through, we need to go through it now and embrace it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess that's my why. I don't know if that answers it. That's just my why. No, it does. And I'm just trying to dig in here. And I guess I'm probably asking the same questions over and over again, but like now that this is over and, and yeah, maybe I already asked this, but like, <laughs> where, where is your mental health now? Like, I know that you've had your struggles in the past. Usually Mm -hmm. those struggles don't go away in a person's lifetime. I'm someone who's had my own struggles as well. So I completely understand it. But um, how are you doing nowadays? 
Um, like I said, I'm getting better. Um, mm-hmm. my foot's I'm I'm in a walking boot. Um, okay. I have like pretty much just my front half of my left foot is numb. I can't really feel it, and it's been like this for I think we've almost been done a month now. So. Okay. Still can't really feel it in the walking boot. I just have like a spider web of fractures up my foot. Um, so that's kind of tough because I want to go out and I want to run or I want to go bike. I can lift still. I've been going to the gym every day to stay active. But it was like you said, you know, going from 15 to 18 hours a day of just nonstop movement. Just go, go, go. That was my life. I wake up, put on my bike gear, hop on the bike, go till it gets pitch black and my lights die. And then do it the next day for 24 days in a row. Then the run was the same deal. Now I go to the gym for an hour and I'm like, what do I do the rest of my day? Like, what do I, what am I, what am I doing? Right. And it's really, yeah, I don't know. It's really tough to figure out what I'm doing in life. There's a lot of, of, you know, periods of who am I now? Like, I don't know who I am or what I am. Right. It was right. a really, really sure. weird, empty feeling of everything. And I don't, I, I guess I don't give myself a break. A lot of people have said, you know, like, I don't, I'm not, I was never really proud of what I did. Like, I don't know. I relived. I, I imagine the finish every single day, every single day I was running. I imagined the finish that once I got there, I was kind of like, I couldn't celebrate it. I wasn't happy in what I did. I just, I did what I had to do and what, you know, what I said I was going to do. I don't know what there is to rejoice or to celebrate. Um, the mission's not done. I don't think I have helped enough people. I want to help more and more people. Uh, I don't think one is ever enough. You know, that's all I say is all I want to do is help one person, but that's never going to be enough for me. And how do we know we've actually helped anybody? And maybe that's an ego thing to think that we can even help one person. I think is egotistical. Mm. Like who, who are we to think that we can help one, one person when only the only person that can help yourself is yourself. You know, all I can do is try to spark something. So in a sense, I've kind of done, I've set myself back mentally where, you know, my emotional and mental health really, really, took like quite a few steps back, but I'd like to think of that as like a slingshot to where once I recover from this and figure out who I am and answer that question to what this triathlon left me with, I'll be better off in the future. But I'm still at that point of wondering who I am and what I am and what I'm even doing in life. Cause I have no idea. <laughs> so it left me with a lot, it left me with a lot more questions than what I started with. And it makes me question, why did I even do this? If I yeah. set my own self back, but I have to trust the process and I think we all need to do stuff like this to push ourselves to that limit, to question who we are, to find out who we are. We just can't stay content in life and think we know everything. We know ourselves to a T like we're always growing. Everything's forever changing. Like mm-hmm. we need to keep questioning ourselves and pushing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. And I'm someone who's always had um, dreams and, and fascinations with like different, like hike the Pacific crest trail or, bike the tour divide. And, you know, these things are, are big endeavors that take time out of your life and you have to go away from work or go away from your family. And it, it's, it's sort of asking a lot. So, um, mm-hmm. the reason I'm asking these questions is just out of pure yeah. curiosity and, and I'm living vicariously through you, man. But, um, yeah, very, very, but so, but remind me like what your career was. I, I remember, remember at one point you were fighting MMA, which is one thing that we had in common. And, uh, but it seems like your career was kind of all over the place, but remind me like the job you gave up and the career you're looking towards, um, in the future and, uh, what that sort of your life is like. Yeah. So, uh, I work on nuclear plants as kind of like a nuclear 
technician specialist is I specialize in nuclear plants. I could go do other things, but I don't really want to. I just, yeah. I like my work schedule. Um, I love working. Like I don't want to stop working ever. Mm -hmm. So I like it. I can't wait to get back to it. Um, I love being able to see the country or see the world wherever it sends me. Um, it's not really a glamorous job by any means, but, uh, just kind of what I put on my resume and, uh, I like, I like working hard. I like getting my hands dirty and yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what I do. It's seasonal. I work in the spring and in the fall, summer and winter, I have off to go travel the world, like just experience life and, you know, keep a passion for it and, okay. uh, enables me to do this kind of stuff. And so in the future, um, you know, I love doing it. I want to keep doing it, but I also want to kind of expand to, kind of more into this realm i don't really know what i want to do i don't want to be like a physical i don't want to be a personal trainer i don't really want to you know i want to help people in that realm kind of like a mental health coach you know like a mental fortitude coach to like help people who are doing triathlons or ironmans or anything like that or ultra marathons kind of get that like that mental fortitude strengthened and whatnot and become this like unstoppable force because i am most certainly i've done a lot of sports but i'm like not the most physically gifted person at all. I just am really stubborn and I refuse to give up. Like my, uh, my coach, Laura was telling, you know, she was like, I swam 32 miles in three and a half days. She's like open water swimmers would like, just congratulate you. Like, you know, however, for what you did, cause it's amazing, but they could do what you did in three and a half days in a day. And it's because they're more efficient at what they do. They're better swimmers. You're just that, that stubbornness to keep getting in the water day after day, session after session for three and a half days. And, you know, I'm not physically gifted. I'm not talented at what I do. There's better swimmers. There's better cyclists. There's better runners. There's better triathletes. I'm just stubborn and I refuse to stop. Um, now I want to just give people that inspiration too, or give people that tool to be like, listen, I'm not a triathlete. Like I'm no physical specimen, but like, I know I can get my mind right to stick through it. And if something you want to do, like, I want to get you there. You know, if it's a dream of yours, whether it's you want to go pull a car for a marathon, like I want to get you there, you know, I'll help you out physically. You want like training, but like, I want to make sure your mind is right for whatever life throws at you, whether it's pulling a car or doing a triathlon or something across the country. Like, I just want to make sure that people are mentally ready for anything life throws at them. And so that's why I always pick these like different events as like a hybrid athlete, because I just want to be ready for whatever life throws at me and just be ready for yeah. life. Yeah. And you had to teach yourself how to swim for this thing, right? No, no, that was Laura. <laughs> Laura, uh, Laura's as crazy as I am. Um, we met exactly a year ago, actually about this time in July. I mean, you no, know, I thought I could swim. I thought I could swim at least a mile. And I could not, I could, but I would be dying after it. And, uh, <laughs> she took me from absolutely nothing to where I'm at now, which for me, it's nothing to brag about, but I guess like it is a pretty big accomplishment. Like, I don't think I'm a good swimmer still, but I'm stubborn. Like I said, so, uh, yeah, she, I would say she's the reason why I completed this because I couldn't have done it without her. Um, you know, I couldn't, I wouldn't have finished the swim. And if I had not finished the swim, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone on to the second part, you know? So, uh, she's more than a swim coach to me more than a head coach to me. She's like a sister. I love her to death. There's times where I, you know, she would send me messages after she left. Uh, she had to leave for some family emergencies, some life emergencies going on. And, uh, I would leave her messages that I would just be like crying. I couldn't, I couldn't listen to hers because I knew it'd break me down. I knew I couldn't listen to them because it would just it would get to me. Uh, I was in a very emotional state throughout the whole thing. As you can imagine, you know, people Not go bad. through ultra, like 
you go through a lot and uh, you're hard to deal with during those times, let alone over 3,600 miles. Like, you know, I'm not always the most diplomatic in how I speak or the most, you know, however you want to say it, I'm emotional. So uh, she, you know, put up with me for that time and yeah. I can't her enough. So she taught me how to swim and uh, she taught me a lot of life lessons along the way that when I acted out of character that I shouldn't have, you know, I think, no, it's fine. I'm doing this. I can act however I want. And it made me, you know, kind of sit back and be like, I have a lot to work on myself personally. And uh, yeah, it, uh, I learned a lot about myself during it that I'm still, you know, still not the man I want to be. And I don't think I'll ever be, but I'm always going to strive for it. So got a lot to work on. Yeah. I mean, we're all a work in progress, right? And I mean, nobody's perfect. Is Laura just your swim coach or is she a triathlon coach? She's a triathlon coach. She is predominantly like a world renowned swim coach, but she is a full on triathlon coach as well Mm -hmm. and has done uh, triathlons and Ironmans herself. So uh, yeah, she's an awesome person. (laughs) She's, she's crazy. We were in the water. I forget. I think it was day three. And there's a video uh, of I'm in the water. I'm minding my own business. I'm not hurting anybody. And uh, they're on the boat and they're like, all right, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to swim up to him. I'm going to grab his foot. And I had already had a little shark scare the day before. And I'm like, this is a, this is the last day joke. You don't do this on day three, but she swims up and obviously she could swim laps around me. She jumps off the boat, swims up behind me and grabs my foot. And like, I was probably like a cat in water. I flew. I, I turned around so freaking quick. <laughs> she scared me so bad. I was minding my own business, but uh, uh, yeah, no. So, oh uh, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a lot of fun. Wow. Wow. So you bring in Laura as a coach who's mm-hmm. done Ironmans before and you tell her what you're going to do. How does mm-hmm. she react to something like this? Um, I believe she's done Ironman. I know I said that. I'm thinking back. I believe she's done Ironman. I know she did. She was on Gordon Ramsay's team for, uh, I want to say it was an Ironman. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah. So, anyways, um, she, uh, I figured, I went on some triathlete site, and I was like, you know what? I'm getting pretty in over my head here. Went on the triathlete site, trying to find a triathlete coach. Found the guy, and he was like, hey, this is way over my head. Um I can refer you to somebody who I think is much more capable of getting you ready for this. And so put me in touch with Laura and I was living in London, England at the time. And she lived probably like a two hours South of me. And um, I think we met up maybe two or three times to actually swim together and like coach in person and the rest of it that she was able to do, like it speaks volumes to how good she is as a coach. One being able to like, I think it's how you handle your athletes and give them confidence is the big part. Like, she gave me so much freaking confidence in myself to be able to do this. That we sat down, had some coffee for the first time, and I told her what I was going to do. She didn't know how I wasn't swimming, how good or how bad I was. And she fully was like, all right, let's do it. And I was like, looking back on it, like, you didn't know how bad I was. Like, I was terrible. <laughs> and so uh, we got in the pool the first time, and there's no, like, shock factor of, like, or actually, no, there was, like, all right, we got a lot of work to do. But uh, I guess she could tell that, like, I was going to be the person to work. If you tell me I have a lot of work to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm, you know, and she knew how to handle me in that aspect as an athlete to be like, some might take that as like a negative and be like, Oh shoot, I'm so far behind. I'm not gonna be able to get there. I just think it speaks volumes to coaches. You know, uh, a lot of coaches are really hard on their athletes and you know, you can, she was a good balance of it, you know, uh, 
we only butted head once and that was on the boat where I was watching my watch the whole time. And I was like, Hey, where's my water? And she's like, you have five more minutes. No, I don't. I'm watching my watch. And she's like, take it off. And I'm like, I'm not taking it off. And I'm stubborn. And so we butted heads. So I was like, fine, I'm taking it off, but I'm putting it in my buoy. And so I think that was the only time we butted heads during the swim. Um, you know, aside from that, like she, she knew that I was like watching it and that was hurting my swimming. And after that, my swimming got exponentially better. Uh, I was able to get into a flow and just kind of start cruising. And the confidence that she gave me, like, man, I like, it's unbelievable because I know a lot of coaches are hard on their athletes and she just constantly reinforced to me, like, you can do this. You can do this. It's gonna be a lot of hard work, but I know you've put in the work. I know you have the mental strength to do it. Like you're just going to have to keep going. And yeah, there's times you'd be in the water and she'd be like, just tell me you want to quit. And I would just, I hate that word. Like I don't, I think of quitting as, you know, like quitting life, quitting anything. Like I do not quit. If I'm going to let myself quit here, why not quit in life? anything I do, whether it's a business venture or whether it's living and breathing, why not? Why not quit? I'm going to quit in the water. Why not quit everywhere? And so I just treat that as like a habit is not quitting. And she said it to me. I knew she knew it. And we talked about it afterwards. Like she literally just pissed me off. And, but it was a mutual respect that we had where it's like, oh, I'm going to show you. And I just start swimming harder. And, uh, you know, she just knew like getting in my head, what to say to get to me, to make me go. And like, you know, I knew at the other day it was nothing but love. So, yeah. One of my favorite sayings is, uh, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And I'm mm -hmm. just imagining like how you would even train for this, but yep. it's probably the same thing with any ultra marathon. The way you train for a hundred miler is just go out and go on big runs. And there's no way you can really train for it. You can get to a certain point and then on race day, you're going to go well into the beyonds and see what happens, you know? And I'm guessing that's what this was like. You probably put a lot of time in swimming, biking and running, but I mean, it's not like you can go out and train for a, a month for this thing that you're going to do. That's going to take several months. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Oh, go on. No, no, no. I'm just, yeah. How, what was the training like? What was the process like? What were you doing on the day to day? I, I think that the last time we talked, the last time we had a podcast, you were like, you just got out of the pool pretty much. And mm -hmm. it was just like an all day swim session. But yeah. yeah, I mean, walk us through like a week of training for something like this. Oh man. So I like, I've been waiting for the after podcast because I was, I swam, I swam almost every day. Uh, but I had to lie about the, the running and the biking. Um, I did absolutely no running getting ready for this. Um, I ran my first hundred in November and then at the Valley of fire. And then I ran my next hundred, uh, a month later, like December 16th, I believe. And that was down in San Diego as well. And uh, so that was my only two runs. And I didn't train for those either. Um, I was doing the, the nuclear jobs out in uh, um, Connecticut in October. And then right after that, I went to Mississippi for a couple of days. And then I realized I was going to do the 100 miler in Valley of Fire. And I ran two back-to-back -back runs, six miles each. So I ran six miles, six miles, took a week off, and then ran Valley of Fire. And um, I didn't really run like leading up to it in like the main months. Um, because I would just want to focus on swimming in my, like you said, like, how do you eat an elephant? Like I just one bite at a time. Like I couldn't worry about the run because I had the swim to worry about because if I didn't focus everything on the swim, I would never get to the run. And so I just swam day after day after day. When sponsors asked me when I was trying to get sponsors and funding for this, like, how's your training looking? How do we know? Like, you're the person who's going to complete this. I was like, yeah, I'm running and biking every day. I wasn't, I was like, cause nobody is going to understand 
one, the magnitude of this event and how it has to be trained for. And two, um, you know, from like a CEO standpoint, not many are going to understand it as like an athlete would or a coach would. Um, and my thought process was, you know, I need to tell like, listen, you just worry about like the funding for this or the sponsorship and I'll worry about getting there. Like, sure. just trust me, just trust me. I will do it. I'm the person to do it. And, uh, yeah, so I swam basically every single day as Laura prescribed and, uh, I'd get on a bike when I could, I mean, a stationary bike. I didn't ride an actual bike for probably about eight months before it. Um, I didn't have a bike probably in London. Okay. Yeah. I didn't have a, I didn't have a bike out there. So I just was on a stationary bike in the gym and I'd cycle for maybe like four hours a week. I do an hour session, a two hour session, and that'd be about it. Um, running, I didn't really get runs in cause I was, you know, my thought process was I'm going to be in the water for X amount of days. I'm going to be on the bike for X amount of days, whatever, like physical endurance I've built up, not like cardio endurance, but like physical endurance, like the calluses on my legs and my feet, um, are all going to go away all that, like the pain tolerance is going to go away and I'm going to have to rebuild it. Cause I'm not going to walk for basically four weeks. I'm not going to walk. And then I'm going to go run. So I was like, I'm just going to start out on the run and, you know, like a normal training run and talking to people like Mark Beaumont who cycled around the world, uh, set the record for it. Um, talking to Robbie Ballinger who ran across the States about how you prepare for this. Like Mark Beaumont, how do you prepare to cycle around the world? you don't go on 50 hour bike rides. Right. So how do you do it? And, you know, he kind of gave me, you know, some tips on it. Robbie Ballinger is the same way. How do you prepare to go across the country? He's like, you're not peaking for day one. You're peaking for the middle of that, of that leg mm -hmm. in which it was on the bike. You know, Mark Beaumont was saying, you know, you start low and work your way up to your average that you want, which is 200. So on the bike, we started low and pyramided till I got to my average and then I tried holding that as much as possible, which is like high hundreds, low two hundreds. And, uh, it worked like the first couple of days were hard to hit one fifty, And then next thing you know, we're hitting one fifties by like one o'clock, two o'clock. Mm -hmm. And so we're flying and, uh, just seeing that actually play out and how it was supposed to go was really cool. But, uh, my training was, yeah, I'd wake up, um, I'd go swim. If I wasn't mentally right. And I knew I was angry or I was pent up with stress, I'd go lift. And I'd go deadlift. I'd put in three strength sessions a week, which was basically like a deadlift session, a squat session, and a shoulder session. And I'd put in a lot of rowing and a lot of swimming. So I'd go, you know, swim for whatever the prescribed time was on Monday. And then I'd go lift immediately after as like, you know, a reward for myself because I love lifting no matter what. And then I was thinking, I'm going to make my legs as strong as possible. So I have, you know, a higher um whatchamacallit um lactate threshold when i get onto the bike so i'm gonna make my legs so freakishly strong that when i get onto the bike i'm gonna be able to just put out a higher output you know if i'm not gonna be actually biking yeah. so i go you know lift for about an hour and then i go row for an hour or two or three and then maybe go hop in the pool to swim another hour and go row another hour like i just kind of serpentine like that and that'd pretty much be my week Swim, lift, row, swim, row again. Uh, two hours of yoga every day. I'd do, you know, an hour right out of bed. And then I'd serpentine like 20 minutes before lifting, 20 minutes after lifting, 20 minutes after rowing. And until I accumulated my two hours for the day and like I felt unreal, I felt great. So 
I was just hoping that that would give me the endurance. The biking during the biking leg would give me the muscular endurance to get through the run. The only thing I could have never prepared for, no matter if I biked and ran the whole time, was how jacked up my feet would get on the bike going to the run. Like they were so supple and so hot spotted from the cleats on the bike that once I hit the run, my feet just blew up in this giant blister. Really? And so I couldn't have, I couldn't have prepared for that. No matter how much running or biking I did, I don't think it would have helped. I don't think I could have predicted that kind of like, nobody, nobody said that. I had so many people giving advice, but nobody ever mentioned like your feet are going to have gnarly hot spots getting to the run. Like it's just cleats. Yeah. That I never would have guessed that. Yeah. No. And I don't think any, the fact that nobody's ever done it in this, in this manner, with no breaks in between, like some guy I did around the world, but he had a week off in between. Like, I don't think I could have asked anybody to be like, Hey, what's this going to be like cycling for 24 days, 25 days, whatever it was straight into a 600 mile run. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's nobody to ask about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, okay. So your training style seems pretty unorthodox. Like I get it. It makes sense for you and your body type because you're a bigger guy. Uh, don't, yeah. if, I don't know if you mind, if I ask how much do you weigh a couple hundred pounds? Oh, uh, yeah. So I started out at two thirty. Okay. So, I mean, that, that's a big dude for doing what you're doing. And that's a yeah. lot of pounding on the legs. So, um, so I sort of see your methodology there but that doesn't really give you a lot of mental confidence for the bike and the run. Were you going in to, I mean, I know that you're talking to yourself and and doing the self-motivation and everything, but are you going into the bike and the run, like lacking confidence or wondering how it's going to go or. Um, I'm definitely a fake until you make it kind of person. Um, you know, I, uh, I had, I had in my head, I think I, you know, I was, I'm super naive, I think was what gives me an edge. Um, I tell myself how it's going to go and I believe it to the utmost 10th degree nth degree, you know, so maybe it's not right, but Hey, it gets me there. Um, so, you know, I was telling in my head, like, all right, I got as heavy as I could for the swim. So I'd be as most buoyant as I could. And so I gained a lot of fat and the crew did a really great job at feeding me. And so almost too well, because I was hoping I would lose more weight over the bike. So by the time I hit West Texas, you start hitting hill country. So, you know, as a climber on a bike, you want to be as light as possible. You look at Tour de France guys, you're, they're all tiny. And so I'm like, all right, I'm 230. I'm probably going to drop down to like, you know, 210, 205, 200 by, this, by West Texas. I'm going to lose a lot of weight cycling. Because I'm generally not a very big person normally. Like when I fought, you know, I fought at 155 pounds. I was weighed about 170. So I'm not typically a big guy. So I was like, I'm going to shed a lot of weight really quick because it's where my body is like wants to be. And I just didn't. I didn't lose any weight going through most of it where I ended the bike at about 210. So I was still climbing the hills probably around like 215. And then uh, Hector left at about Fort Stockton, Texas. And right after that, the day he left, I got food poisoning and heat exhaustion. And I saw him a week later in San Diego. And he's like, dude, you shrunk. Like you lost a lot of weight. Like Mm. I'd have to have people like help me get the cycling bib off because I couldn't like pull it over my arms. My arms are too big by the end of it. It would literally just fall off me. Mm. So in that week I lost a dramatic amount of weight and hitting the run. I was probably about 210. I got down to about 200 by the end of it. So I was hoping I'd be near 190. So that was my confidence going into it of like how it's set up. um, I guess like the terrain and the map and the elevation route, my weight, 
should be able to flux and I should manipulate it enough to where I'm like, I fit that body style that needs to be in that section. And I'm like, sweet. I've planned this perfectly. So I just gave myself confidence in that realm to where when it didn't happen, you know, I got really nervous on the bike three days in. I'm like, I have so much to go. Like, how am I going to do this? And just think like one day at a time, one bite at a time, one bite at a time. And I always told people I wasn't worried about the run 600 miles. Like I was like, I'm not worried. It's, it's running. Like, but really that was my biggest fear of all bigger than the swim. But I couldn't tell myself that I, I, I told myself that the swim was my biggest worry because I couldn't worry about the run. If I was sitting there like, shoot, man, the run is going to be the hardest part. Like, how am I going to do this? It would have ate at me, the swim, the bike. It would have, I would have been sitting there the whole time worrying about the last phase. And like, I can't worry about that. I have to worry about what's here now. And during the swim, I was like, this is the hardest part. Once I get through this, it's over. I'm easy. It's, it's cruising through here. Anybody can bike. All I have to do is pedal. Yeah. And then once I got on the bike, I'm like, oh, wait, sweet. The swim was my hardest part. That's done. Now the bike is just really long and boring. I have to get through it. And there are some aches and pains on the bike for sure. My hands were really hurting. My hands were in a lot of pain. Um, but like, I got the hardest part done, the swim. And the second I hit the run, I'm like, shit. They, now it's real. Like here's where everything comes down to because I can't negotiate anything. Like I have to finish this. So uh, the run was always my biggest fear because um, I knew how much it would hurt, which it did. It hurt a lot. I just couldn't think about it. So thinking about, you know, how, was I mentally confident in it? I think, yeah, because I just convinced myself like, I put myself into a different reality of what it actually was. And I was just naive. Mm -hmm. So that was, I just made myself delusional to what was really going on until I actually faced it. And I'm like, shit, this is horrible. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I'm already here. Like I have yeah. to do it. I mean, I, I sort of get it. I've done an Ironman, but looking back on the Ironman, I was also worried about the swim because I wasn't a very good swimmer. That was my weakest of the three disciplines. But looking back, the swim was the blip on the radar because that is done the fastest. You know, you, you're done with the swim. And then by the end of the day, I'm looking back going, man, that was today that I swam. That seems like like nothing You right, know, right, that yeah. went by so fast. I was, I was on the yeah. bike a long ass time and then I yeah. survived through the marathon. And that's well, probably what, was the what I'm sorry. Was the swim open water? Open water. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think, sorry to interrupt. I think the swim, it's so scary because open water, it doesn't matter where you are. Your sensors are on overload, overdrive mm -hmm. the whole time that mm -hmm. it's scary. And then, well, you were in the ocean. Yeah. I was not in the ocean. I was in oh, a lake. Oh, <laughs> so okay. it's a little okay. bit different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, there's yeah. still things. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, still, it's scary. Wow. Um, so remind me geographically where this all took place. I mean, I, if I remember right, you were like going along the whole West coast of the United States damn near, but like, mm -hmm. where did it start and where did it end up? Right. So, um, so I took the, you know, there's a whole, I wanted to go from Bahamas. I couldn't cause at the time of planning COVID restrictions were crazy strict. Ah. Um, and so it got moved to somewhere along, you know, uh, the Florida keys. And I'm like, where do I go? How do I, you know, put this right? And so we went from Key Largo to uh, Key Biscayne, which is, you know, basically South Beach, Miami. And uh, excuse me. Um, yeah. So I thought we'd go further out into the Gulf Stream, which that's what all my numbers are based off of, is getting that assist from the current. We get on the boat and the captain's like, we're not going into the Gulf Stream, which basically when you get closer to the shore, you get counter current. So if I wasn't facing counter current, it was at least flat, but wasn't flat. 
or I guess neutral with giant waves, you know, so, or current, whatever you want to call it. Like it was bad. So all my numbers were thrown off and that's why I got 32 and not what I predicted because we were, you know, doing the, you know, the fluid dynamics of what I should get with the assist and the drag. And so it was a mess uh, right from the start, got a wrench thrown in that plan and just had to deal with it. Um, you know, hit the bike and went from Miami from where we ended to, uh, to San Diego, Belmont park. Um, I didn't take the Southern tier route as I had planned just because things change when you're out there. Like if you look at my tracker, there's a blue line and there's a red line. The blue line was my predicted and the red line is where I went just because I don't know one, I wanted to get to certain spots based off news coverage and they didn't fall through or they, they fell through, you know? So, um, I was like, well, there's no point to go to the city and have to deal with traffic and the cities are the most dangerous spots. One, the traffic and two going through some sketchier neighborhoods. Like I did in uh, Mobile, Alabama, went through a really rough neighborhood that I shouldn't have been in. And I booked it out as quick as possible. So from that point of going through it and going through like uh, New Orleans, it was like, all right, if I don't need to go through these cities, I'm not going to, it slows me down drastically hitting red lights, hitting turns. And I'm having to constantly look at my phone. Like I'm just going to stick to the highways and go. So that's why my red line is not matching with my blue line. It just worked out that way and I could find nicer roads. And sometimes I get to the road and it would be dirt or it'd be sand. One time Hector and I were biking and we ended up on a sand road. Like where did sand come from? And we had to walk our bikes because we were trying to fight it. And eventually we would just fall over. So we had to walk it. Uh, One time I came across a downed bridge. I tried walking through the woods and I was like, I don't know if there's how many snakes are in Texas, but like, I'll probably get bit and I have no service. So I'll probably die. So I'll turn around. Um, and that was a, you know, a 10 mile detour, which took me a couple hours because I had to walk. So that was that with the bike. And then, um, uh, ran from Belmont park to the Golden Gate bridge following directly along highway one up the coast, which was absolutely gorgeous. The only way I would have wanted to do it, but I didn't know the road to be so slanted, like curved, which was just excruciating. Yeah, that's painful. That's brutal, yeah. man. I had, a, I had a couple people come out and try it for five, 10 minutes. And a couple people came out longer, but they were like, dude, this is, I had somebody try it for five or 10 minutes and they were like, dude, this hurts. Like, this is rough. Oof. And then some people did it for a couple of days with me and it was like, yikes. Wow. It was not fun. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of times. There's times where I just, I like would just start yelling and it would echo through the, through the cave, through the, you know, the mountains. I was so, <laughs> so much pain. <laughs> um, walk me through the lead up to this thing. Like logistically, it sounds like a nightmare, like yeah. getting friends together, getting the RV together. You have to be here at this point, uh, the captain of a ship. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just logistically, what did this thing look like in the lead up to it? I mean, just a week before it was really cool having everybody there because they could see how much stuff was actually like going wrong. That was just, I couldn't stop, you know? Um, I always thought everything sounded so make-believe, like you couldn't make this stuff up, like, you know? And so the crew gets there, one person flies in on Tuesday morning, the next person flies in on Tuesday afternoon, next person flies in on Wednesday night. Uh, I was another person supposed to fly in Thursday night, but she lands in LA. I, people come from all over the world, you know, I, you know, I got their round trip tickets from two people from Bend, Oregon, uh, Laura from England, and then um, our main producer from, um, uh, I want to say, I know Australia. And 
you know, Laura came out, the two crew from Oregon came out and then uh, Elle was coming out from Australia and she landed in uh, LA and she calls me and she is hysterical. Right. And um, it's really sad. Like, I don't know, probably should mention, but like her friend has, uh, you know, a terminal illness and she can't, she has to redirect home. Mm. And it's like, just stuff that we could have never imagined happening man like sure. it's heartbreaking that that happened like i can't stop her like i don't mm-hmm. want it like i want to make sure you're okay i want to make sure your friend uh you're terminal but like you know that she's best taken care of and you're there for her so you know it was heartbreaking it was obviously a lot of stress put on me but you know it's life like that needs to be taken care of first so if you can come out after great if not like take care of what needs to be taken care of like that's what matters most in the world so you know stuff like that like who could imagine that we could have never planned for that. So, uh, you know, I put a lot of stress on everybody else. Uh, we were getting the bikes sent out there still. We had my bike, uh, being sent out with Hector's bike from San Diego across the state. So I was waiting for those bikes to arrive so we can put them together. And then my second bike arrived the day we were leaving. So I'm trying to put those together. I'm not a bike mechanic. And these are really fancy bikes that I didn't put together properly. Thankfully the bike shops caught that. And it took two or three bike shops to catch certain parts of it. We took one to one and they're like, all right, we got it. It's done. Like it was going to be really dangerous if you wrote it. And then the next shop would be like, this isn't on all the way. And like, well, thank you. So like (laughs) these bikes, like little things just went under the radar that could have been catastrophic. Um, You know, it put, you know, with one person, the main producer having to, you know, leave, uh, take care of her, her family emergency or life emergency, um, put a lot of stress on, uh, the new film crew, which is Brandon, that, you know, more than he signed up for, you know, uh, you know, task wise, like, you know, but he was all up for it. He loved it. We were talking about like, it was like being the Tom Brady of, you know, of, uh, of the film world. Like, you know, man, you weren't supposed to start, you weren't supposed to play in the NFL. Like Drew Bledsoe was and Drew Bledsoe went out. I don't know if this really happened, but I know, I knew Drew, I knew, I know Drew Bledsoe got injured and Tom Brady showed up, but, uh, you know, that's what we were kind of relating it to is like, man, you're the Tom Brady now. Like, you're you're starting like this is your first game starting big super bowl like and he hit it out of the park like the stuff he got was insane and you know the hats that he wore he did a lot so uh everybody just had to carry a ton on their shoulders because we were supposed to have a bigger crew and things just didn't work out as planned and i wish i could have gave more help to everybody that you know i tried you know i broke the bank doing it and tried getting out as many people as possible and funding everything funding their way their round trip tickets their food the gas like I just wish I could have always done more for everybody. And I, I couldn't, you know, I'm still trying to, so whatever still comes in from funding for the, for the film, for the book, uh, you know, that's kind of where it was going to help pay back these people more than what we had already agreed on because, you know, we agreed, you know, our verbal agreements, verbal contracts of what it was going to be. Some things have come up and, you know, uh, hopefully I can, you know, yeah, be able to make it up to some people mm. who, you know, did more than what I could have ever asked for. So you have a film and a book in the works. Um, the film has hit a big halt with things. Like I said, we kind of had our agreement, but some things have kind of hit a snag uh, with, you know, requesting more finances and that I just don't have. So I'm going to try to get those together to, uh, you know, kind of mend this relationship and right. hopefully I can, you know, do right by him on that. I really want to. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to see how that goes. And, you know, I guess when, two people have such a fire and such a passion for what we did. And we went through such a crazy situation. Like you're going to butt heads eventually, you know, like 
cruise butt heads on ultras, let alone, you know, 46 days of just mm -hmm. this, you know? So yeah. Um, it's a shame. It's really sad, uh, to have this kind of looming over the whole project. So while that kind of, you know, has halted, uh, to a stop, I'm going to work on the book and, you know, if that's all I can do, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to put that out there and it's what I've always wanted to do. So I'm going to tell the story the best I can in that, uh, fashion, if there is no film, but hopefully there will be, cause in the big scheme of things, you know, it's what it's all about is just having, you know, this kind of legacy for ending the stigma on mental health, like to where it just wasn't a six week endeavor that, you know, inspired some people and sparked some people to go do some things, but something that can last for like, however long eternity sounds really weird, but like just can last longer than what this did. And somebody five years from now or two years from now can see it and be like, damn, man, like, this is rad. Like, this is, I, I want to do something like this. Like yeah. this is possible. Like this person wasn't rich or, you know, whatever, like he wasn't a professional athlete. He just went out and did something that he felt gravitated towards. And whether there's money in it or not, like, I want to go out and do this. Cause we all think like, man, this has to make money to make sense. Like, nah, man, just focus on what you're passionate about first. And like, hopefully the money will follow. If not, like, at least you did something you cared about, you know, mm -hmm. that goes for everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. So walk me through like, I don't the swim, I guess I was going to say week one, week <laughs> two, I don't know how to even approach this, but like yeah. walk me through the swim. I mean, you're dealing with the captain of a boat crew <laughs> swimming with a buoy sharks. Um, I'm probably barely touching the surface of all the things you're worrying about, but like, yeah, tell me, tell me about the swim first, uh, man. Uh, it was such a surreal feeling. Like we got, to, I mean, yeah, talking about all the chaoticness that went on beforehand, we got to the boat at 11 o'clock at night and I had to wake up at five. So I went to bed probably around after midnight, woke up at five and had to start swimming. So, <laughs> you know, the days leading up to that, we all had poor sleep. We all had, uh, you know, poor nutrition, especially me on that end. Like not saying I'm more important than anybody, but like I need to be right to be able to like handle this next day. Like totally, I can't just, yeah. I can't nap, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I napped in the water on accident. Um, so, you know, you know, we, we wake up early, everybody's kind of like, we got this high, we got this buzz going, you know, it feels incredible. We're here. Like, I don't really know what I'm thinking, you know, like what, what did, what did I do? What did I sign up for? It's, I make the metaphor a lot or the analogy of like how I used to walk to the cage and going into it and walking from, you know, the basement where the locker room is up these flights of stairs and out these curtains and these lights are showing. That's like what it was like taking the boat out of the docks and into like into the ocean mm. was like literally just in my head, like going up those staircases, like going out of that dock and just seeing like the mouth open up. And I'm like, this is it. And I'm here. And, uh, there's no yeah. backing out now, dude. <laughs> no. And I'm just like, what did I sign up for? And I get all my, I get all my stuff on and, um, I just jumped in and I don't yeah. really know why or how, or, it's a blur to me at that point that I jumped in. It was like the first time the cage door slammed, I heard it. And then it was just go. And I don't remember what I did. And, you know, that first, I don't know why I jumped in or what my thought was going through my head. And, you know, we just start swimming. Um, we had a lot of learning cause I never swam with a boat before. Uh, that's obviously on me, you know, um, I never swam with a boat, so I didn't know how to sight a boat. And Laura's trying to swim with me and she's obviously like the flash. So I can't keep up with her. She's like, just follow my feet. And her, her at 50% is my 120%. And I'm like, 
I'm getting pissed. I'm like, you're messing with me. I can't keep up with you. I can't see you. She's like, how come? I was like, cause you're too far. Like <laughs> she would just, she'd fly. So um, it was just me being like stressed and obviously scared. You know, I think a big thing that a lot of us don't realize is anger is a derivation of fear. Like any anger I had that day was like, cause I was scared. Like I'm in a world I don't know about. And I'm now diving into this continental transcontinental like triathlon like of course i'm terrified i'm going to be a little agile on day one like yeah. how much do i have ahead of me and this is where i'm looking at the whole elephant with like tiny little plastic like knife and fork and i'm like damn it dude mm-hmm. like so i just had to like you know get through that first day and get through it and uh yeah i was plugging away and we finally figured out that like there's times where they'd be going and I, they'd start going this way and i'd be like i see shores that way Obviously, I'm not going to shore just yet, but I was like, I'm going. So I turned the other way and I'm like, I'm leaving you guys. Like, where are you going? I was like, you guys are messing with me. I'm swimming my own route. And like, I was just being a pain. Like, I was, I was so stressed already. I just couldn't think straight and breathe and I couldn't get a hold of myself. And so, you know, uh, I think it was on like hour six, six through eight, uh, I fell asleep in the water. I was just kind of stroke, stroke, and like, I just floated and I could feel it. And so I get back on the boat and I'm like, I need to take a nap. Like I'm, I'm absolutely out. And I don't nap through like anything. I never nap. Like if I did any of the hundreds, like I don't get tired. Like I don't mm-hmm. know where hallucinations come from. Like I love going, I love being without sleep, but I was so tired, physically exhausted, I think mentally exhausted where finally the, everything came to a halt. all the stress the other days, like Mark Beaumont had it in his documentary. I think he made it four miles into his bike ride. It was either four minutes or four miles into his bike ride. And he had to stop and get coffee, get an espresso because he was falling asleep on the bike. He just set out to cycle around the world in, in record time, like fast. And he, th- and he was falling asleep four minutes in, four miles in. Like, and he's just like, it was because of I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat properly the days before. And I was like, it was so, it was cool to be able to relate that to him to be like, all right, he still accomplished it. Like, I'm not in bad company. Like, it has been done before. This is normal. Just relax. So, I crawled on the back of the boat. I took a nap, got back in and finished swimming for the day. And so, uh, yeah, we, let's see, I didn't know the captain before. So that was kind of something that you would want to know, know the captain, but he was a great dude, super funny, like kept the energy high, like kept everybody laughing. Uh, yeah. Day two was about the same. Uh, I ended up falling asleep after six hours again. Um, this time they had to tell me that I did. I didn't know that I did. Um, I saw sea turtles. It was really cool. Like it was just, I feel bad for the, for the team because like they don't get to see what I'm seeing, but like at the same time, they got to be like on a really nice catamaran in the Florida Keys, like with beautiful sunrises, sunsets. And here I am like face down in the water all the time. But right. like, at the same time, I got to see some gorgeous sea life that like sea turtles underneath me, like swimming with me, you know, schools of fish going over the, you know, the coral, the reefs, everything underneath, like, it was so special, you know, day one, I saw that stuff. Day two, I saw that stuff. Uh, day three, I believe was the day I saw the shark. Uh, day two, I think was the day there was like, I, I, I realized now it's a barracuda. I named him Harold the first day, but I was swimming and I like looked to my right and he's big. Like I didn't time. I just thought he's a big silver fish, but like, I don't trust anything. So I'm like, you're dangerous until I've proven otherwise. Like he could try to take a nibble out of me, but it was like this big barracuda, and uh he like swam around me in a circle and i just kind of like followed him and like watched him and he's just like looking at me and i want i'm like picturing what he's imagined like who the fuck is this guy and i'm like <laughs> so he's swimming around me in circles for a minute and then finally disappears 
And then I think later that day, or maybe it was the next day, uh, he came up again when Laura and I, it was the day Laura grabbed my foot. So I think that was day three. He showed, I think it was him. I'm going to say it was him a day and a half later. Uh, he's swimming in front of me and Laura, and he would kind of swim up into the shadow and then disappear and then come back and find me, then swim up, then come back and find me, then swim up. So he's like leading the way, yeah. and, you know, I'm bored. I'm getting delusional. I'm just like making stories in my head, like having conversations with him, like what he's doing, what I'm doing. Uh, there's one where uh, Brandon, I can't remember what day this was, probably day two, maybe, because it was really rough water. So it had to be day two. Uh, Brandon was on the dinghy next to me and he got this video of this giant sea turtle, probably no more than like two feet away from me, mm. probably under two feet away. And scary because I didn't know he was there. And at the time I'm like, I know everything that's going on around me. I see turtles blow me fish. I see Harold. I have a two, anything directly behind me. I can't see, but 270 degrees. I got it covered. Right. Little did I know, like literally at my nine o'clock, there's a turtle. So it's really cool, but also really scary to be like, that could have been a shark. And I would have had no idea, yeah. but it was so funny. Cause watching the video, I'm swimming this way and he's swimming this way and he stops. And he's like, it just follows me. And you just tell, he's like, what the heck? never seen one of these before yeah i've never (laughs) seen this on my daily commute and i'm like and then he just he sees me passing he's like and he just keeps going and swims off and i'm like it was just such an incredible thing to see there was dolphins that i didn't see but i guess they were between me and the boat so they were swimming in front of the boat by catching the waves uh yeah just some really cool special things that like it's just incredible uh the boat hit me at one point uh the dinghy (laughs) <laughs> the the waters were so rough that they actually hit me and I like kind of ran over my right side and like I elbow it and kind of like hit my head I'm like the f- what are you guys doing yeah. <laughs> and uh, then we just kept swimming like it was hard to get angry at stuff like that it was just like this is just such a wild adventure that we're on like it was just cool like it's gonna it happen of- yeah. yeah so <laughs> I, I got upset at that I was just like uh, what the heck guys totally. like all right let's go so we just kept going and plugging away. I think day three is when I saw the shark and it wasn't a very big shark. Like I'd say like three to four feet, but, uh, you know, like 10 feet. I don't know. Uh, no. So three to four feet, like it's a shark to me. Like it's going to be scary no matter what. I don't know if he's got a mama. Like, I don't know how sharp his teeth are, bite my toes mm. off. And so there's a little like cat and mouse game with him trying to like watch him, trying to call for the boat. And finally like three or four times, I finally like tried kicking at him and hit him. Didn't go away. And so finally I had to wave down the boat to come get me. And, you know, they pulled up really slow and I'm like, are you guys going to get me out of the water? And they're like, this is as fast as we can go. And I'm like, this is our shark protocol. Like, <laughs> this is it. If this was a 10 foot shark, I'd have to fight a 10 foot shark for like three minutes. It felt like 10, but it was probably only like two or three minutes. But in that time, you're like in overdrive. You're like, get me out of here, man. Oh, yeah. get me out of here. There's no, there's no safety net. Like whatever happened, happened. And I have to deal with it you know, on the highway, if a car hits me or is come near me, like you just, there's no safety button, man. It's terrifying. So mm. to be on, and after that, I'm on alert 24 seven. Uh, I was out of the water for maybe like five, 10 minutes. And then I got back in. Cause I'm like, I can wait two hours and it's a waste of time. Cause I don't know if he's gone still, mm. he, you know, I might as well just get back in and go. Like, this is what I signed up for. I'm scared, but like, it's what I signed up for. It's why, what I'm here for. So let's just go. And you know, uh, there's man of war jellyfish or Portuguese man of war, uh, on the last day, man, I was so hurt. I was the whole time. My right shoulder was hurting really bad as it always does. Like I said, I'm not a very balanced swimmer and 
even the captain could see it. Like he's swimming wrong. Something hurt with him. They're like, yeah, probably. And so uh, I love that they just shrugged it off because like, I'm not going to admit it. You know, I'm going to be like, no, I'm fine. And they're like, you're clearly hurt. I'm like, no, I'm fine. Let's just keep going. So uh, eventually the last day, my shoulder started hurting really bad. My left shoulder um, to the point where I literally left it at my side and I stroked my right hand. And I had flopped my left shoulder, stroked my right hand. I did that maybe for like 10 strokes. And it's just like, I was so stubborn and so angry that it was hurting that I was like, all right, I'll blow my other shoulder out. And I just, I'd go back and forth and eventually like I'm breathing really heavy. I'm panting. I'm like hardly getting in the air. I'm hardly even moving. I'm going super slow. And Laura comes up to me and she's like, Hey, grab the boat, grab, grab like the kayak. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. And she, we had established before like a code word, a safety word. And she's like, you know, well, what should we say in case there's like something really bad going on? I'm like, well, nothing now. Because now I know the safe word. Like, if I say, like, cheese pizza, I'm going to know cheese pizza means there's a great white. Like, just, I'm stupid. I'm not going to know what you're telling me. Like, just say, like, my stroke is wrong and you need to fix it. And she's like, okay, fine. So she calls me over and she's like, hey, grab the front of the kayak. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. What's up? And she's like, I was like, I, I had my orange buoy, so I'm laying on my orange buoy. And I'm like, what's up? And she's like, grab the kayak. And I'm like, oh, no. I was like, I've, she's never demanded me to do this before, but she's mm. like dead serious, like straight face, grab the kayak, Justin. And I'm like, oh shit. And she's like, there's a couple. And the second she said a couple, I was like, nope, we're done. We're done. I'm getting in the boat. I'm out. I don't even care what it is. You could have said goldfish. I would have been done. <laughs> right. And I was so over it. And she's like, there's a couple Portuguese man of war over there. And I'm like, how far? And so I kind of like pull myself on the kayak and I look and I'm like, maybe 20 yards away. And I like, I'm like, do they come after you? And I know they don't, I know they're not like predators, but I'm like hoping she's like, yes, they chase you. I'm like, all right, cool. We're done. But she's like, no, they just follow the current, just stay behind the kayak and just follow me. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it for a little bit longer. Even though I don't want to do it. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of just like a lot of debating in my head of, you know, I want to be done with this, but yeah. Um, a lot of things where at the start, I'm like, man, I want to see all these things. It'd be fun, man. No. Nope. The second I saw him, I'm like, get me as far away from these things as possible. Yeah. Yeah. But in this, at the same time, it's like you signed up for this. I signed up yeah. to go swim in shark infested water. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, man. And, uh, there's a couple schools. There's a, uh, the Indian rocks Christian school out there that my buddy, his uh, sister is a teacher and all the kids in seventh grade wrote me some letters. And there's like hundreds of letters from the kids just like, you know, wish me good luck, like praying for me and kids are ruthless, man. Like, I don't know if you have kids, you have kids. No, no kids. I don't. And I'm terrified because they're ruthless. Like <laughs> they were, there's some, they're super sweet, but then they're like, did you know, fun fact that the most shark attacks happen off the coast? I'm like, great. I didn't need to know this like right, right. before I jump in, but they're ruthless, man. But uh, it was, it was really funny. It was cute. And always something that like, that was probably the most special gift I got, man. Like to see that, like these kids were following along, like they were following the story and everything. And, you know, inspiring somebody to go do something of their own in seventh grade. Like, Hey man, like I can do some pretty crazy stuff too. Like go yeah. do it. You know? So yeah, it was, it was a, uh, that was probably, I, I think my most favorite gift, like there was bikes donated. There was a lot of things donated, but like, that was probably the most sentimental thing I have. Uh, I never got around to reading all of them because I just knew that I was in such an emotional position. I didn't want to let all my emotions out. It was like mm. just caged up in me. Mm. So uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. Wow. So swimming for how many hours a day average? Uh, I, we, our plan was four on four on two off four on, but 
I just, as we saw the first four on two off wasn't enough because then I just fell asleep. So we started doing, and obviously around the end of the four hours, I just like wasn't going at a speed. So we decided to do two, two on one off, two on one off for like eight to 10 hours a day. And so basically that was because we got so many misdirections of like the charter brokers, like you can't swim at night. You can't swim, you know, you can't swim at night is what she was saying. We asked the boat captain. He's like, you can swim at night, but like, I'm not really going to let you like, you know, it's also at his discretion of what he feels safe with. Like, can you keep an eye on me at night? You know, and day two, end of day two, we got uh, a storm coming in. And so that's when, if you see on the map, we coasted into Biscayne Bay so we could hide from the storm. But then you have mangroves. And when you're closer to shore, like you have freshwater crocs or saltwater crocs. Like, mm. so yeah, now I'm like, hey, are those mangroves? Like, don't like crocodiles kind of go near them. He's like, ah, you're fine. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so now I got to worry about crocodiles. Like, you can right. tell me what you want, but I see pictures of, of crocodiles out here. So, <laughs> You know, we did about eight to 10 hours a day okay. for that. And, and then the last... sleeping, sleeping on the boat. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, yeah. They, they'd have all the food ready for me. I get on. I was so exhausted. Even eating. I, I was so tired, too tired to eat. I would be like, just a bite would take everything out of me. Like, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So it was, uh, it was different. It was just trying to fight the waves. Had, had I had the current in the water, like, you know, as calm as it was on day three and four, oh, it would have been a breeze or breezier than what it was but day one and two just was like brutal. i don't know yeah i like it because it was a fight like looking back mm -hmm. to it like that was a absolute brawl trying to get through <laughs> day one and day two like i like it screw it uh, i don't care if i didn't get as far like i got the party that i wanted like <laughs> i want to i want to feel it all man i'm glad there was a shark whether if it's three feet or ten feet like there's a shark man yeah. like you know there's jellyfish like it's just being able to experience something like that and be like i didn't quit Mm -hmm. 100% man I mean that's what you signed up for is yeah, you know, people stories that. you walk away with yeah. yeah showing people that like you know man like there's things that scare us in life like why let it stop you you know mm -hmm. keep going like we got so much more left in the tank we're you know we're braver than what we can imagine you know we can endure a lot yeah and then most triathlons um they get out of the water they strip off the wetsuit they run to the bike they they might change quick, but it's all done real, with like a minute or less. Usually they jump on the bike and take off. It, I'm guessing that's not exactly what yours looked like. So when you got out no. of the water, uh, what, what happened? So ideally what it was supposed to be is I was going to be swimming into the bay, you know, right at the end of the day. Cause the dock that we were going to, they close at like, I think I forget what time it was like five or five thirty something. I can't remember. It was before sunset. Right. Cause I was always told we have to get out of the water at sunset. The boat was booked till I think seven 30 or eight 30 at night. So we had to be in the dock before the dock closed and then offload the boat before our time ended because I don't have the boat any longer. Right. Cause I only had rented for a certain amount of days. Well, the last day I got pulled for a medical emergency, um, more medical terminology, terminology and jargon that I don't comprehend. I'm just the numb school the, the knucklehead that goes out and does it. But, uh, you know, like I said, I couldn't breathe. Uh, they pulled me out of the water, I think four or six hours after on, uh, or is four hours, four or five hours on day four, pulled me out. That's why I say three and a half pulled me out. I wasn't doing very well. I wasn't really, I was, my heart rate was like 50 after two or three hours of swimming. My heart rate's 50. I'm hardly like breathe. I'm like not hardly breathing. I'm hardly getting any oxygen. I'm like huffing and people are kind of like, Brandon was like, I've never seen you like react like this. I've never seen you out of, out of breath. Like 
you're like, you look bad. And so it put the blood pressure on me. My blood pressure was like skyrocketed. My heart rate was 50 and my oxygen levels were super low. So they were kind of worried. I don't know what the terminology of jargon was for it, but they're like, we're not going to put you back in to finish the day because you're just not going to be able to like you're breathing, but you're not getting enough oxygen in. And like, eventually it's going to get to something, a heart attack, probably with heart with the blood pressure that high, probably a heart attack. Um, I naturally have high blood pressure anyways, all the stress leading for this. So, um, yeah, I got my heart checked in October and November because of heart problems from stress. Uh, I was like level two, like extreme. So, um, for a while that was really dangerous, really scary, kind of realized I was going to die before it even started. So, uh, pulled me out. They're like, you have an hour left. We're going to give you an hour. You can either swim an hour out to the ocean and we'll call it. And that's where you're going to stop. Or you're going to swim an hour this way and get your finish that you wanted on a beach. I'm like, I broke down. I was like crying. I was angry. Like, it's not what I wanted. Like to me, it's a lie. I'm cheating. Like it's going to look like I got a beach landing when I didn't actually deserve it. I didn't earn it. Like it was really tough for me to handle because I just, I'm all or nothing. And so basically put me back in the water. I swam the hour to the beach and we had our celebration and everything. And me, I got off the bike early. So I, I got off the swim early. So let me get on my bike and go. But my mom showed up surprising me. So, you know, we all went out to lunch or late lunch, early dinner, got everything set. And then we had to drive two hours to go get the car or go get the RV to bring the RV back. So I had half a day off before I started the bike and not really what I wanted. Like in my head, I failed to swim. Let me get on the bike and just go. Like, Mm -hmm. let me just go. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm crying. Like I'm hurt mentally and emotionally. Like, let me just get on and go. Like if I can't do this to my best ability, I want to bike to the best of my ability. But the transition period was a lot longer than we thought, you know, wanted to not have my mom just fly across the country for five minutes of seeing me. Like we went out and ate, celebrated, like trying to slow myself down and appreciate everybody coming out and make this about like community and getting people together, which is what it really was about. And so I think that was the battle of my ego of like, Oh, I want to go, 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 go. And it wasn't about that. It was about people coming together, sharing something special together and meeting new people, like all the new people who like of the wolf pack, they got to meet each other. People who weren't part of it, meeting people of it. Like that was the special thing that I'm always going to remember, not how fast or I didn't go fast enough. You know, that's my ego that needed to be, you know, kind of pushed to the side for the reason of it, which is community and mental health and bringing people together. So I didn't go directly to the bike. That's kind of how it looked is, you know, dinner, I drove two hours to get the RV, slept in the RV, then went to uh, start the bike the next morning. Okay. And that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. not like you're, you're trying to beat anyone's time, take down anyone's time or anything like that. You're just trying to get this long journey done. Um, 3000 miles on the bike. Okay. Um, I think I saw pictures of you with cops. Um, I'm picturing major saddle sores. Was that an issue for you? Oh, surprisingly. Um, that's kind of what I talked with Mark Beaumont, you know, he's like, ease into it. Like, you know, I guess what's that saying? Like check yourself before you wreck yourself kind of deal. (laughs) So I'm like, that was the deal with easing in. I still put a lot of the equal amount of hours as I did on the bike every day but I just became more efficient at it and didn't like completely destroy myself. I didn't wreck myself. Um, the saddle sores were there for about a week. And then after that, he's like, your body will adapt. Like, Mm. don't go so hard out of the gate, putting 200 plus in a day. Like when 
because you're not going to be able to recover. So mm-hmm. ease into it. Your body will be like, all right, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And after week one, like the saddle sores really weren't an issue. They would kind of be, they kind of like rub me for the morning, but after the morning, they'd be like, all right, I'm good. Let's go. So a lot of, uh, a lot of chafe cream, you know, a lot of lube, a lot just to keep it, you know, moving. But, uh, aside from that, like my, my hands were the big issue from just constantly switching from, you know, the swim being just shoulders and triceps and everything. I was basically planking on the bike for 16, 18 hours a day. Like that was terrible. You know, like my shoulders were, were dead. My triceps were dead. My hands were beat up. And so trying to just sit on them, I had blisters and bruises along my palms. Mm. So that's what I had to really deal with until I had really thick gel gloves that still didn't help. Uh, that was my bigger, like, you know, kind of nuisance along the whole bike. Uh, the police, I got hit on day two, um, got hit by a car. Um, I think, I think it was before that I got blown off the highway by a semi. Uh, I was in the aero bars yeah. and all of a sudden a semi comes right here and blows me off the side of the road. And it's like, I don't know why I say Caddyshack, but I feel like it was something that probably happened in Caddyshack where I'm like bouncing on the side of the road, like on like the, the grass slope along the highway, just like uh-huh. trying to like stay in and like, you don't have much control in arrow bars. No. And so I'm just like, I'm just clenching everything, like just praying that I'm not going to like crash. Yeah. And I'm just like, all right, just keep rolling. Keep just roll through this and like get back on the highway and no pop tires, crash free. And then I think after that is when the, the car hit me. Uh, yeah, I was able to come out unscathed, same with the bike, couple nicks on the bike, but, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, a scary time because, you know, uh, getting out of Miami, a lot of close calls with semis and trucks on the highway to get out. Um, and then I made it through my first aid station and I'm like, man, I made it, I made it. And I realized like, I just dodged like stupid drivers. Like we all know how like people can get distracted with their phones and all it takes is one person, one person in 3000 miles or 2,900 to not pay attention and I'm dead. Like that's all it takes. And you know, I just dodged sharks and jellyfish and everything else for four days, three and a half days. Like I'm like, shoot, the real worries drivers, man. Like people are oh, my yeah. animals are my worries. And so, uh, yeah, it was, a uh, that was a big scare. Cause I'm like, man, I have to get back on the bike again. And not only do I have to get back on it again, but I got to get on it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And like, it all it takes is one driver, one driver. And it was scary. So that one driver happened. Uh, she wasn't paying attention and I was paying attention. So she kind of was coming this way and turning in front of me to turn onto a side street. I saw her and I tried hitting my brakes and I just couldn't hit them in time. And I started turning with her to try to like at least roll with her yep. instead of going directly T-bone. Cause had I not hit my brakes, she would have hit me. She would have T-boned me and ran me over hmm. or I hit my brakes and I would have T-boned her by rolled with her. And I was able to turn the bike, unclip my left foot, as the bike was laying down, I was unable to clip my right foot, hurdle over the bike, and I ran into the car. And then, yeah, that was about it. Um, some guy saw it, called the cops, and uh, yeah. So, bike was <laughs> bike was undamaged, but at that point, I was like, this bike is bad luck. It was my really nice bike, too, so it was kind of a shame. It just had uh, some bad, you know, some bad voodoo put on it, so had to kind of get rid of that. And, uh, yeah, it took a couple of days for me to feel comfortable on it again. Cause so many bad things were happening. Really? But you kept on the same bike. Uh, I switched out to my Fizari for a couple of days for about okay. a day or two. And then finally I was able to get the courage to get back on the Orbea, which is okay. that bike. And, okay. uh, yeah, it was, it was fun, man. That bike I would fly on. Like, I don't know what I would have done had I not had the bike. Like mm. I would just lay in, I lay in the aero bars for like 
you know, all 200 miles. I'm just laying them and just, just like crushing. Yeah. And yeah. yeah it'd be, I'd go like 20 miles without trying 20 miles mm-hmm. per hour trying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I want to try, I go 25, hit 40 miles per hour a couple of times. Like, yeah. And that's scary, yeah. man. That's not fun. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've done it. I know, man. How many hours average on the bike? Uh, I would go in, in Florida, we had to do a couple smaller stints because I just wasn't used to it. There's a lot of heavy, like headwind that would just drain me. Um, I don't know how much it was. I can't remember. Cause I know I'm trying to think like, there's so many different segments of the bike. Cause we had a lot of drama at the start, trying to get the crew working together and everybody working like in a synchronized fashion, you know? Um, so we didn't put out that many miles. So I'd probably go like, can't remember because the run man man there's so many different stages i'm trying to remember what it was because i know once once it was brandon and i like west texas after i got sick we started crushing it just because you know we didn't need to talk anymore we had already been with each other for so long he'd pull up next to me and then we would just go like hey man gatorade bagel and then all right see you in like you know 40 60 miles you know but at the start when it was all of us it was like maybe 50 maybe we did hour stints maybe maybe like two three hours like oh i'll see you in two hours however far that is you know okay so things like that um when it yeah so it was all different you know when it was the whole crew it was shorter stints because i was just getting drained faster when it was just us and i guess no more headwind like longer stints but i would say on average like 15 18 hours a day if we could get more with daylight like once we got further west, we got more daylight. So we try to go further into the night, sometimes midnight to 3 a.m. So my lights died. One of the lights that I bought from like Magic Shine just were broke. It didn't work at all. And that was like my main light. Like the other light was from Walmart, which died after like two hours. So that was a big bummer to where we would go as late as we could till like, you know, midnight and be like, all right, let's charge the batteries. Or one day we're like, all right, let's charge the batteries 3 a.m. And we'll get back on the bike and we'll keep going. And then we realized, like, why not just go to sleep, wake up in the morning fresh, like sitting here for two hours waiting for a Walmart battery to charge to get back on. Like, doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, you know, that stuff really ruined our efficiency. But same time, like maybe it required or it gave me the more output the next day to be fresh, like mm-hmm. things like that. So, okay. yeah, it's just now- hard to plan. Oh, well, yeah, you're so much of it's just on sighting and so much of it's just on the fly, just making decisions like how is this really going to shake out? And you don't know until you're there. Yeah. So was your RV sort of following behind you to sort of protect you from traffic or yeah. it probably doesn't work that way? I mean, in an ideal world, maybe, but I'm guessing they would go up far ahead and then you'd have to catch up to them. And it's just a cat and mouse yeah. game. Yeah, so uh so it's actually really crazy. So yeah, in Florida, that's what they did. They would just jump ahead. I'd catch up. I'd find them. And that's how we leapfrog each other. Um, they would go run some errands like bits and bobs that we still needed to get together for the bike that, you know, things that were like, Oh shoot, we need this. Like mm-hmm. things that we didn't need to get before the swim because we had such short time before the swim started when everybody got there. So uh, yeah, I was in, I think just outside of Tallahassee and we had just got done with an aid station and Brandon and Laura call me and they're like, Hey, there's some dude, like a couple blocks behind you with like a police escort and an RV, like he's cycling in the road. I'm like, what? So I like look behind me and I see some, like some lights flashing, police lights. So I wait for him and I hop in with him and I start talking with him and he's cycling from Atlanta to uh, New Orleans, raising, raising funds for a uh, education program he wants to put in schools. He's a school counselor. Mm-hmm. And so 
he's got this police escort. And I'm like, how much does this cost, man? How'd you do this? He's like, a thousand dollars a day. Oof. Like, All right, my bike ride's a little longer. Like, I'm gonna risk getting hit, which obviously <laughs> yeah, I paid for. Right. <laughs> right. But a thousand bucks a day for the escort, and it was cool. We we cycled together for a little bit, we just chatted. It was really fun. Uh, so obviously nice being protected for that little bit, knowing I'm not gonna get hit. And you know, people are pulling over, people are honking. Like he did it right, man. Like he raised a lot of awareness for his cause. Like had a banner on the side, like stuff that I wish we could have got done. Just things fell off. Like I was going to get the RV wrapped. I was going to buy an RV that didn't go through in the last minute. So I had to rent it last minute, which meant I couldn't wrap it, man. I couldn't even get the time to get a banner made. I'm like, this guy did it so right. You know, uh, I think having a smaller race probably is a lot easier than getting a bigger race and, you know, so on and so forth. But he did it really right. He raised a lot of awareness for what he was doing. I mean, even we, we saw what he was doing me. It's like, you just ran, you just rode past me and you're like, Oh, this is dude riding. Like, he did it right. So it was really cool seeing what he did and like everything he was doing it for his school. And we chatted, talked to police a bit, like got some pictures together and it was really cool. Cool guy. Um, yes. And then for the most part, I just went off on myself, went off on my own, kept leapfrogging. And uh, I'd meet up with Brandon and Laura. They'd have like their camp chairs outside, having like a good time, enjoying the sun. It was hot. It was really hot and muggy. So sometimes they'd be in the RV. Sometimes they'd be outside chilling, camping a bit. And uh, yeah, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. I just pull up we'd bullshit for a couple minutes and like have some laughs. And then that was the big part is them being able to take my mind off the bike ride, you know, uh, just being able to have fun with them, like get off the bike. And we're all like joking about whatever, like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. Like that was the, you know, something we talked about, like anything going on, like literally anything people would come up and ask what we were doing. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna go cycle. I'll see you guys in a little bit. And like that kept the positivity and like, I guess the mental strength there of like, I get to focus what I'm doing and I'll relax, focus what I'm doing, relax. And that was a big, big uh, help for me right there with them being able to take my mind off of the grueling activity that was awaiting for me in 15, 20 minutes. And then uh, that, that'd be about my breaks, like 15 to 30 minutes. That, that'd be about my breaks. And I'd get back on for another, you know, two to four hours. Mm, so okay. two to four okay. hour stretch. Yeah. Now we've broken it up into this. I can like think about it. So yeah, 15, 30 minute break, two to four hour stretch, repeat that. And, uh, yeah. Nice. How many days on the bike? I think it was 24 or 25. Oof, so which wasn't, yeah. Which wasn't too bad. I projected 21 ish, but I got sick for two days. So if you take that off my 25, it puts me at 23. And so I was only two days off of like my projected goal, which I feel is pretty good, but mm, you know, yeah. 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 So that's averaging. I suck at math. What? Like 150 a day or something. I mean, honestly, I haven't even done it yet, but I okay. feel like I've just, have, I've stepped away from it so much that I haven't uh, even, like, I'm sure. done it yet. I mean, yeah. uh, even doing it, I'm like, I need to figure this out because I know <laughs> I'm going to get asked. So, yeah, I need to wow. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, transition between the bike and the run. Was that another half day, full day, or did you just jump right into the, into the run, or what was that like? Um, so, it was, let's see what happened. Uh, oh, it's fun. So, uh, my credit card got the credit card that was paying for the RV got, got lost, misplaced. And we had to cancel it. I'm busy, obviously doing things like cycling that I don't realize that the RV is paid for with this credit card. So I call them throughout the deal. I'm like, you know, we had so many things with the RV go wrong. The air conditioning wasn't working. The, uh, the septic pump wasn't working. And that was because 
Brandon high centered the RV at one point and broke the septic pump. So <laughs> that was uh, something that we just didn't tell them, but you know, things like that where it's like, shoot, man. All right. Well, I'll see you in a little bit. Once you get the RV towed out and you fix, like, I'll, I'll see you down the road. So uh, yeah, things like that. Um, but I call him. I'm like, Hey, like, you know, I talked to him the whole time because things like this, like, Oh, Hey, the septic pump isn't working. Where are you? We meet you here. I'm like, Hey, I'm gonna be a little bit behind schedule. I'm supposed to drop it off on this day. It's not going to be there. I'm like, all right, well, it's going to be a couple days. What's going to happen. They're like, well, we'll just keep charging the card. And I'm like, all right, cool. I didn't realize that like I canceled it. And so I get a letter when I get to San Diego, we get to San Diego, probably about one, one o'clock in the afternoon. And I get to San Diego, I stop at Hector's house because his is in like the, the edge of it and is about a 15 mile ride to the, to the coast of where I finish. And I was like, I really want to be about everybody. So I, ego wise, I guess this is where I like make the transition of like becoming a little bit more about the project was like, I could finish now and have the rest of the day off or I can stop at Hector's, wait for everybody to get off work and then be able to join in the last 15, 16 mile ride. So got everybody together. Like, you know, I forget how many people, eight to 10 people, probably like close to six or eight people came out for the ride, uh, came out to Hector's house, like kind of celebrated with us. I took an ice bath at Hector's house. He's got a cool little cold plunge. I sunk into a couple of times and just recovering and, you know, hung out for a couple hours. And then Hector got off work. Everybody else did. We hopped on our bikes and hit the finish of the, of the bike at probably like five or 6 PM, right. Sunset, like great time at Belmont park. And my thing was kind of wanting to make the transition of, you know, that's where Hector finished his San Diego 200 run. And so I wanted to pick up where he left off. Oh. So, uh, ended my bike directly where he had his celebration at. And then, uh, the RV situation, which is funny why I bring it up is because I got an email when I'm at Brecker's, uh, Hector's house that the, the RV is going to be like repossessed because I stopped paying for it. And they're like, you've declined payment for this. So we're going to come get it wherever it is. And we're going to tow it. And we get everything, like everything inside of it comes with us. And I'm like, <laughs> wait hold on i call him i'm like wait what is this like yeah you've declined payment we've tried running the card i'm like that's not declining that's not me declining the card has been canceled like this is where as a company you go hey we've tried running the card a couple times so you have another card we could process this on i'm like oh yeah sure sorry like i've never refused it and so i'm like you know what the tires popped uh they popped the tire when we were over, coming over the, the mountain pass there and uh so they were supposed to come fix the tire for us too. And they never showed up. They didn't call us back for like a day. So we drove the RV on a pop tire for over a day. <laughs> so, luckily it had like the, the, was it the dual? Oh, like, the dually. Okay. Yeah, yep, the yep. Dually in the back. So we had that and it was only like 60 miles left. So okay. we just drove slow. Oh, but that was the thing is after, uh, after it was just Brandon and I, uh, he was able to follow behind me cause I had a lot of service roads. So on the highway, no, but when we hit the service roads, he would just follow behind me. Hmm. So that was, that was really nice. It was a very, very comforting. Um, yeah. Until the part he told me he almost ran me over cause he was on his phone. So <laughs> he was like, I straight up, I almost like, I was close to running you over. I was on my phone and I was like, awesome, man. <laughs> so Don't tell me that. I don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's so happy that I almost died because you were on your phone. Um, you know, so it was just a lot of crazy stuff going on like that. Um, let's see. So yeah, basically I was like, you know what, you guys want your RV back? I'm going to return it, returned it with a broken pump or a broken sewage tank. So that's why I was pooping on the side of the highways basically. Um, like, so broken sewage tank, uh, broken AC and a pop tire. And I returned it like that. I was like, you guys want your RV back so bad? Like you can have it. 
And so switched out to a, a smaller van. And uh, that's why we got started a little later. Got started at like 10 or 11 a.m. on the next day. Okay. So able to rest, get our sleep, uh, sunk into the cold plunge a couple more times to kind of get my body back to normal and then hit off on the run. Okay. And just okay. started putting in as many, many hours as possible, run until 11 at night. And then that was when we hit Pendleton, Camp Pendleton, where I couldn't go through at night. And I could have, but I would have dragged everybody out of bed till mm. six in the morning. So I was like, I'll come back in the morning. We can do this in daylight. So, mm. okay. so okay. from there on, I started putting in as many miles as I could. Yeah. And most of this is running on roads, right? All of it. There was All maybe, maybe around Half Moon Bay, I believe, just north, just around Half Moon Bay. I hit a trail for probably a mile. The rest is on roads. Yep. So Yikes. <laughs> I did a video of it. I'm like, we found a trail. And it was on accident. <laughs> it was on accident. And we went extremely slow because it was a cliff right next to the ocean, like a straight drop off, probably around three in the morning. Okay. And so it was like, this is not the time to be on a trail. So wow. other than that, all pavement. And how long did it take to run 600 miles? I think it came out to 18 or 19 days. Dang. Okay. I can't remember. Something like that. Wow. wow. 15, something like that. Yeah. And then, yeah, man, I saw videos of popping massive blisters, you on crutches. Like it it looked like a pretty damn painful run. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, you know, I should have, I always said I'd start out slow, obviously like I'm not used to running. I maybe walked a couple hundred steps a day throughout the whole process. I hardly ever walked like right. RV bike, RV bike, sometimes into a store to grab a drink, like hardly walked. And so, uh, I'm not used to it. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna start off super slow and I'll work into this. And obviously I'm all the hype, all the energy with people, like, you know, several people running with, with me. I was like, I just got hyped up. And so I started running the first day and that was probably the worst thing I could have done. I think we hit 37 the first day and then, I can't remember what I had to look at my phone when I hit the second day, but again, another like anywhere from 35 to 45, the second day. And then I look at my phone again, the third day, I think, Oh yeah. I can't remember. I got about a hundred ish miles in before my foot really like blew up. I remember my foot, the one step I took and just felt the whole bottom of my foot just blow up into a bubble. Mm. And uh, it was that hot spot of exactly where the blister was hitting or the, the cleat was hitting just blew up and I have some really thick calluses on my feet. And so we tried getting a sewing needle and going through it. Couldn't get through. I couldn't go deep enough with it without worrying about stabbing my actual foot. And so, uh, had a really big knife pocket knife, had a really thick, like hunting pocket knife, tried like stabbing and cutting off it. Couldn't break through this. Couldn't break through the, uh, callus. So I had, I had a blister on the arch of my foot. So I peeled the blister. If this is the ball of my foot, I peeled the blister all the way up. So I get underneath the skin to where I could peel the blister up. And then I got ahead of myself and I should have cut it and then glued it just to prevent infection. But I didn't, I ripped it off. And that's why I had this huge, huge, like gaping hole in my foot of just like exposed skin, like blood. And, uh, basically from there on, it's just prevention of care, you know, not infection, like padded it with like six gauze pads every day after that so i could at least walk on it but i had to get a dr shoals insole like padding to put on it too so where i could like have more cushion 
because it was so tender and bruised that it was like so painful to walk on that I walked on the side of my foot after that. So that day three, let's call it day three. Um, it could have been day four, day three, we get to my buddy's house in uh, LA and I basically take apart my foot that day, like expose the hole. And I'm like, we're gonna have to get crutches. Like I can't walk on this. I'm like walking on the side of my foot, literally on the side of like my pinky toe, I'm walking on it. And, uh, I walked, uh, I think seven miles that day in 10 hours. And so 10 hours of walking on it, just painful. Um, we call it a day, go to my buddy's house to take apart my foot. I try walking the next day and I'm like, I can't, I woke up that night and I'm maybe like five feet from the, from the toilet. I wake up that night. I can't feel my foot. I can't move my foot. It's completely numb. Like I can't feel it. Like you could have hit it with a hammer. I couldn't feel it. I turn, I try to get off the bed. So I walk to the bathroom. I couldn't put my foot, I put my foot on the ground, but I couldn't feel it. I couldn't put any pressure on it. And I'm like, this is terrifying. I'm supposed to run today. And I'm like trying to get my way to the toilet and I can't, it's like five feet. And I'm like, all right, well, we got to get crutches. So we go to the store, we get some crutches. Um, and they're like, let's just wait the rest of the day. Like you obviously have tried to walk and you can't walk. So take the day off, recover. And I try going the next day and I'm, I'm walk for maybe like five, 10 minutes with the crutches. And I was in my head. I'm like, these are basically big hiking sticks, right? Like people have their walking poles, their running poles. Like these are mine. <laughs> and so I'm like, I've bought into it. I'm like, my armpits are obviously going to get blistered. My hands are already hurt because of the bike still. Like I was like, whatever, man, I'll do it. So I'll do whatever it takes. And so got on it, tried going. And I call, uh, I call Bram. Hey man, just, just come get these, man. Like, come get them. I'm done. I'm going to run. And he's like, you're going to run. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm over this. Like I'm looking at my watch and it's like 32, 33 minute miles. Man, I like take them. So he took them. I started running and I was running on the side of my foot, but I was running. Mm. And I did that for about another day. And my foot was so like permanently stuck. If this was like my shin and this was my foot cocked to the side, I couldn't straighten it back out. Like it took everything I had to like make it go in line again. Cause I just had bent it to the side. Mm. So eventually I just kept going and going until like we said, like the body will adapt, which is like the overall message for this is like your body will adapt to whatever you're putting it through. Your mind will adapt. Like, I don't care how naive or stubborn or stupid. It sounds that the science doesn't line up. No, Justin, your foot's not going to get better. Like, or you need to do this or you need to do this. Like, no, if you tell yourself it will get better, I don't care what science says. Like the human mind is so infinitely powerful that like, if you believe it down to your core, like it will happen. And that's what I did. I kept telling myself every day, like, it'll get better. Mm. One more day, it'll get better tomorrow. Didn't get better. Mm. It'll get better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I kept telling myself that. And like, that is the message that it's not about running. It's not about the swim miles, the bike miles, the running miles. It's not about that. It's about the message of life. Like today sucks. Today's hard. You want to end it? Make it to tomorrow. Tomorrow mm -hmm. could be better. Mm -hmm. If not, make it to tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the only thing. The miles are irrelevant. It's the struggles that we go through, the hurdles that end in our way. Just keep going. Yeah, running long distances really is the perfect metaphor for life, isn't it? It's like, just keep going, like, don't quit before the sun comes up. Uh, stay, uh, stay present, you know, keep looking at the ground, don't look too far ahead, don't look too be far behind you. It's like the perfect analogy for life. Like thinking that I had at that point, you know, like I had 480 something miles left. Yeah, and if I'm, you look I'm, too far ahead, you'll totally just screw yourself. 
oh, I was like, I'm never going to make this. Yeah. I'm never going to make this. Like in my head, like, there's just no way. When do we call it an end? And I'm like, there's no end. I have to do this. Like I need to finish, you know? So yeah, it, it is the perfect metaphor for like, I think that's why you start finding so many people in the ultra running community that have a lot of mental struggles and a lot of people who are addicts that are recovering, you know, like you find that a lot. A lot of people I ran into are all in recovery and like, you know, sober, they don't do drugs, they don't drink. And it's like, it's just such a good, you know, it's, it's incredible. Like the community is so powerful and it was so interesting meeting all those people. Uh, And so people who are so selfless and helpful that just want to be there and help you get to your finish line, man. Like I can go on about everybody who came out and helped like in Florida. uh, There's this dude, Chris, part of the wolf pack and his buddy, uh, Geoff, he came out like one morning, like they drove like 45 minutes both days and at night to come see us. And then in the morning to come see us off, like 45 minutes, like one way just to come see us. Like that was special, man. Like, and it gave me the energy to go that day. Like, heck yeah, man. Like this is so much fun. Like I get to meet people next time I get to, uh, uh, new Orleans and through the, like the power of the wolf pack, uh, our buddy out there, Javier, like he set us up at his buddy's house. He came out, like brought me, like brought me drinks, Gatorades and Coke. And I'm just like, so unbelievably like, grateful for these people like or believably like i should be rightfully so like just so grateful for these people that like inspired me to do so much and keep going to keep pushing because had i not made it to new orleans because i wanted to quit well before new orleans i wouldn't have seen hobby uh i wouldn't have seen uh this guy chris who came out just around houston i'm like climbing these hills getting into austin and also this dude pulls up in his truck like with my name all over the back of it like all this like just love and i'm like it gave me so much energy and like that's the power of crew and the power of like i guess like power of love as cheesy as it sounds but like being there for other people how much you can push them and he stayed with me for three days three days all he did was crew drove his truck three days across texas with us just crewing and helping out and like you know that was special uh megan adam came from dallas all the way down to help crew hector flew out to new orleans we weren't there yet. He drove all the way over to Pascagoula, Mississippi to catch me at night to cycle with me the next morning. He worked every single day, cycled with me at night. So cycle in the morning for an hour or two, work for eight hours at a, at a Starbucks. Like he did so much. Like, honestly, I'm upset at how much he came out and helped because I feel like it was a more stress on him than what I was able to give to him. And like, as far as riding, I'm like, man, I wish we could add more. Like I'm seeing all the cool stuff when we're not together. Like I wish I could have gave more of this experience to you. But, uh, you know, just people who are so unbelievably, like, helpful, man. It's just special, man. Adam and Meg rode bikes with me for two days. like, And they were like, hey, man, we might come out to Arizona. We might come out to the end of the run. Like, they were all about it. They were so, they were so cool. And Texas is huge. It's mm-hmm. awful mm-hmm. how big it is. And it's such, it was such a big milestone of the ride to get through that when they came out, like, Texas flew by. Like, it was the, it was the fastest portion until I got sick. But up until then, like we would have crushed Texas because of these three people. And then uh, two more people who came out, Frank and my friend Brian, who I haven't seen since I was in Taiwan at work. One guy brought me, Frank brought me a toilet because I didn't have a toilet. I was pooping in the dirt. (laughs) Brian showed up in the middle of nowhere in the desert, like the desert of West Texas on like a foldable Hummer bike, I think. And I was like, where'd you come from? Like, just the constant love and support and then talk about getting to the to the run like there's people i go on for ages that came out for the run like 
every, almost every day I had somebody pull up on me. People I didn't even know were coming, pull mm-hmm. up on highway one and be like, Hey man, you want the Gatorade? I'm like, I don't know who you are. Then finally I see him. I'm like, Oh shoot, Evan. He parks his car on highway one then runs with me for like, I forget almost 20 miles. And I'm like, I was so upset and I was so in pain that day, but you got me to running another ultra that day. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, just so many people came out that I didn't think I'd be able to get more than 10 miles that day. And I set records with them every day. Every time someone came out, I set a new record with them because my, fa- my, fir- my, my fastest half, my fastest full, my fastest ultra, like the power of other people being there for you is Huge. so incredibly special. And again, message for life, man. Like you need people in your corner. You need just, even if it's just one person, you know, at times I had three or four or five people like, when Chris, Meg, Adam, Frank, Brian, five people came out all at once. Or if you have just one person, you know, like you just need someone there for you. Like yeah. you just have one person there for you. Like, man, it changes your mental strength so much that we just need one person there for us. And that's what I want people to take away from this on the outside. Like look at the days that I was alone and I'm like a pretty strong, like mentally tough person that we're like, I don't need people to help bring me up, but I do. As much as I want to say I don't, and as much as we all want to say we don't need anybody, the proof is in the pudding. Like when I had somebody else there, oh, we crushed it. Mm-hmm. And it's because like, that's just life, man. If we have somebody there riding with us and we're in our low points, like they'll bring us out of it, you know, and we, we should do the same for others. So yeah, man. Yeah. That's yeah. where I guess the why comes in. The why is like, I just having those special moments. And those are the things I want people to take away from it. You know, mm-hmm. not me pushing through it, you know, like that's cool, but like that's special yeah yeah it's the other people that are involved it's touching other people it's the relationships you build along the way that's what you walk away with that's the meaningful stuff 100 percent. i like i said man people remember like the miles like oh justin ran like 500 miles with a messed up foot like you'll remember that for a couple months but like that's not what's going to inspire you you know and what's going to inspire you to keep going what's going to stick with you is the overall message like of community and coming together to help other people out, like to being there for other people. That's what you're going to remember in a year or two or three or four or five years. You're not going to remember the idiot who ran 3,600 miles across the country. Like, right. I don't care. You don't need to remember me. I want you to remember what's important in life. Mm. And so hopefully throughout this, I was able to instill that in something, you know? Yeah. So in most runs, half marathon, marathon, ultra marathon, the end is always what takes forever, right? You know, you can, you can smell the finish line. You know, it's there, you know, you're going to make it, but God dang, this is taking a long time, man. I'm walking. I'm just trudging. I can't keep, I can't stop looking at my watch. You know, God, miles aren't going by fast enough. How, how long did that happen for you? Uh, how long did what happen? Just that, that process of, Oh my God, am I, am I at the finish yet? Are we almost there? God dang it. This is taking forever. Probably right around the time my right foot started going out. My left foot was all- <laughs> So basically right the-, the whole run. <laughs> yeah. My, my right foot started giving me problems when I started hitting the slant on uh, around Gorda, G-O-R-D-A, Gorda uh, on Highway 1. It's probably about where I was like, wow, this uh, this cannot come fast enough. And then the last couple of days, like, I guess is now is all a blur to me. But, uh, you know, again, I was able to kind of call my friends. I knew I had about 175 miles left maybe. And I kind of called my friends. I knew where I was and like how far it takes them to get me. Cause I'm initially from like the North Bay area. I'm like, Hey, like I don't ask for help a lot, but like, can you guys come out? Like, could you guys come run through the night with me? Like I'm going nonstop now. Like, can you come, come help me out? And so 
they were able to come like help me out. And really that last couple, like, you know, two days flew by, uh, my buddy showed up in the middle of the night and were able to run with me. And we, again, like doubled my time. I was going maybe three miles per hour. Next thing you know, we're running six miles per hour again, like nice. going up the hills, run through the mountains. And so it's like, I couldn't wait for it to be done. But at the same time, like it flew by because of like the people who finally came out, but uh, on the coast, the coast is where time stood still. I could not, okay. I needed to get to, uh, just it's Monterey. I can't remember what the other town right in there is. It's a really bougie town. It's really rich, but, uh, yeah, it was right about Monterey. I was like, I need to get to Monterey from where I m- made the turn to get to highway one to Monterey. That's where time stood still. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Still. It was awful. Mm-hmm. Big Sur worst part of it absolutely terrible worst part i could ever imagine that's where my staph infection kicked in uh and again like a really cool part uh this guy tim uh he's initially from long beach he a lot of people i guess this was a trending thing you know again i don't have a poster anywhere saying what i'm doing i'm like i had a big old beard i'm like dragging my foot like here's my left foot here's my right foot i'm like dragging it because my my right foot became like the worst foot um I'm dragging it along highway one going like two and a half miles per hour. I'm just limping, dragging it. And this guy drives by me one day. I didn't see him, but he drives by me. And day two, he comes back. He's like, Hey man, I saw you like kind of on the road yesterday. Like, what are you doing? Like I saw you yesterday. What are you doing? Like, I'm like, Oh man, I told him I'm doing. We talked about five ish, five, 10 minutes. He's like, Oh dang, man. Like that's really cool. Good luck. Like this and that. And I asked, you know, where he is from, what he's doing. He's like, Oh, out here for the weekend, like driving back down to long beach. I was like, all right, cool. And, uh, maybe like 45 minutes goes by and I'm going North. He's going South 45 minutes goes by. He pulls around again in front of me and, and stops. He's like, Hey man, I'm like, what's up? And he's like, all right, man, I should ask this before. Like, you know, we exchange Instagram handles. We don't have service because we're on the coast. There's no service out there, but you know, we talk again for another like 10, 15 minutes and uh, just gotten to get to know each other better. And his family, his wife and his daughters with them. And, you know, he just turned around to talk some more. And he's like, man, we come to find out. He's like, yeah, man, I actually thought you were just some like homeless tweaker. He's like, I thought, I was like, what is this guy doing? He shared me on his social media and he actually had his friend reach out to him too. He's like, dude, I saw that guy running too. I thought he was a tweaker as well. Like everybody, everybody thought I was a tweaker because I'm just like dragging my leg. Like I'm high and I'm just like, I look homeless. And uh, so I'm, I just wonder how many people were like this guy. Right. So in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm in the middle of nowhere. People have to know that I'm running something. No, they just thought I was you know, high as shit. <laughs> Tweaking out. Yeah. Yeah. So he actually goes back down to Long Beach that day. And uh we end up uh just by Big Sur. And he's like, hey man, got back down here. I was talking to my buddy and I'm about 150 miles away. Yeah, I'm 150 miles from the finish at this point. So I think I when did I contact my buddies, probably 125. I think it said 175. I I had texted my buddies about 125. So I had 150 left from Big Sur. And uh Tim talks to his buddy Tony and he's like, hey man. Like they're not runners. Like they're, they, they go to the gym. They do like this push up challenge every day. And he's like, dude, I saw you in that day. I did like a hundred, 200 more push ups. Like they all text each other and they hold each other accountable for doing push ups every day, like 500 a day. And I think somebody's like, they did a thousand or something because mm-hmm. like he saw me. I just, I went nuts, man. I know I had to do more. And I was like, that's what, that's cool, man. Like that's awesome. Like mm-hmm. you realize like your potential is so much higher. But uh, him and his buddy Tony were like, dude, like we're going to pack up tonight. He just got down to the Long Beach. He's like, we're going to pack up tonight, pack the truck, pack the, the, the motorhome, the RV that they, or the motorhome trailer they got, 
we're going to come, we're going to come like finish the rest with you. And I was like, he's like, do you need the motorhome? Cause we see you're sleeping on the side of the highway. And I had staff. So I'm on the side of the highway, legs spread wide open, butt naked. Like I need to let my staff breathe and like get some air. Cause it was too hot. If they touched each other is excruciating. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you can sleep in the RV or in the motorhome. Like, you know, we got a shower, kitchen, whatever you need. I'm like, no oh, man, like, once we get to Monterey, we'll have like hotels and I can clean myself. Cause that was a big issue. I need to clean my staff. So it didn't spread and get worse. Sure. And so, uh, I was able to stop one day and get, uh, some antibiotics, some oral and topical and just attack. Like it was so bad. It was really bad. So him and Tony drive up, they get there at 4am. Like I said, they're not runners, man. Like 4am, they meet us in big Sur, and we start running that next morning, both of them 27 miles on day one. 27 miles on day two like they day two they texted me and they were like hey man uh we know we're not going to finish the miles with you today because i hit 50 so i had to run with them till in a certain point where i'm like i need to keep going so we can get to the end on time but like you guys keep crushing it he's like, all right man we're just gonna keep going until we get our ultra and i was like hey man anything over 26.2 is your ultra i don't care what anybody says and so they hit 27 at two in the morning he texted me at 159 he's like hey man we did it and i'm like you stayed up <laughs> You kept going till 159 in the morning. Like, dude. Yeah. Like, I, Badass. I can't explain like how much that, like that, how cool that was to see. Like that inspired me. I mm-hmm. might be this guy on mile 450 or 480, but like the fact you guys stayed out and grinded it out, you guys aren't runners. I was with you all day and you were limping. You were in pain. Your knees hurt. Your knees were locking up and giving out and you still stayed in it. Like, the determination and the grit and the mental fortitude that you had to do to stick through that is like the coolest freaking thing. And they literally stayed with me all the way till uh, we got to the Golden Gate Bridge. And, uh, you know, this goes to show like how much we need other people in life to get us through things. Like we can't do it ourselves. You know, if you want to go fast, go alone, you want to go far, go together. And I needed them so much. Cause that, like I said, the time stood still on highway one. And that next 150 miles with them, they got me to Monterey so fast, sharing miles with them, talking with them, just everything was so special, man. Uh, it was cool seeing them set those, set those personal records and pushing themselves to like the nth degree. Like it's really cool. So I know there's that, like that bond and that friendship we got forever. Cause I can't thank them enough for just driving up for that. And, uh, yeah, man, it was super fun. Um, they, uh, uh, was it? Tim was, Tim was, his knee was hurting pretty bad. And we finished the bridge. I almost finished the bridge. I finished like 90% of it. And then we get the camera crew to go up further ahead. Um, and I called Tim, like, Hey man, where are you at? And he's like, oh, I'm just getting on the bridge. He's like, all right, I'll see you in a minute. So I ran all the way back across the bridge to go get him and to like run back with him. I didn't tell anybody I went back. If I, they're calling me like, where are you at? And I'm like, when you got Tim, man, like we're going to, we're going to finish this together because I don't think there's any it wasn't right for me to finish this alone and celebrate mm-hmm. this without it because mm-hmm. I think Tim and Tony is what got me to the end of that very last 150. Cause like they pushed me, they, they encouraged me and showed me so much love. Like he was like the ultimate hype man when he wasn't running. It, he would, we Bixby bridge is this big tourist destination. He literally runs around Bixby bridge telling everybody, every tourist taking pictures, what I'm doing. And when I get to Bixby bridge, everybody's like clapping, taking pictures. And I'm like, just that, like, that was so special to me, man. Like the fact you went out and did that, like, I don't know. I got, I got no words for it, man. So that inspiration again, I can't, I'm going to harp on it, man. Like people being there for you and like being like being a fan for somebody, being someone's biggest supporter, like 
I want to be, be people's biggest fan. When I'm at a race helping you, like I want to be your biggest fan, your biggest supporter, and just try to keep the, the morale high. And that's what they all did for me. And uh, literally, we finished the race. Like, hey, man, you know, we talked, shared some hugs and some, you know, talked for a bit. And then they're like, all right, we're heading back down home. That was it. Like, didn't stop, didn't like take a nap. They just like, all right, man, we're heading home. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Dude, just people taking time out of their lives to be a part of this. Like you said, the crew who was on it the whole time, you know, putting their life on hold for a month, uh, you know, people coming from around the world, like, man, it was, it was special. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, bro, I got to go to work. So I hate to cut this short. I got to leave in like a couple minutes, but, and I know you said that the, the finish line was sort of anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were able to finish with some friends and there yeah. were some special moments there. Um, anything else you want to add about the finish line? Uh, just, just wrapping up this whole thing that you planned for well over a year, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, almost two years. So, uh, yeah. it wasn't all that I expected, which was kind of weird, but there's days where my foot would hurt and, uh, I'd picture how the end would finish, how the end would play out. I, uh, my like, kind of like dad, my father figure in life who took me in and, uh, my other mom, um, uh, I had my mom and I had my other mom. Um, they were there and they were there. I, there was no question about it. I knew he would be the first person. I knew he'd be front and center. Anybody. He's a really big guy. He's like, <laughs> I think he benches like 500 pounds. He's a really big guy. So I don't, nobody's going to fight for him for the middle spot. But like, <laughs> I knew in my head, he was going to be the first person there, first person there. And I can even see it was like this blur. I was running so fast. Like, I think I easily clocked like six minute miles running across the bridge. And, uh, to the point I had to stop a couple of times. So the crew could catch up. Everybody could catch up. Um, and so I had my glasses on, I couldn't even see him, but I just saw this figure exactly what he was wearing. I knew it three, 400 miles back, what he was wearing. I knew it to a T what he was going to be wearing, what he was going to be standing right there. I was going to run straight into his arms and like, just, I thought I was going to like fall apart, but, uh, yeah, it was just, and I knew exactly, I think that was the thing. It was so anticlimactic because I had been there a thousand times. I'd been there a million times in my head. When my foot started hurting, I'd picture this moment of crossing that bridge and not letting him down and being there and just, you know, like I would start being, on, I'd be on the side of the highway and just, ah, ah, I'd start yelling. And I'd just like, sh- I'd start yelling at myself. Like, come on, let's go. And I'd like, my foot's hurting, both my feet. The staff is hurting. And I'm just one foot running. And I start sprinting. And like, I'm probably looking like, a psychopath on the side of this highway. I'm running head on with cars. So cars can see me, see my like emotion, my yelling, just all of a sudden I had to stop. I'm like, all right, I need to breathe, man. Like I, I, I'd almost have like my eyes get watery. Cause I get, I'm intense, man. There's no doubt about it. People are like, man, you're like a really intense person. When you do things I'm like, I'm so passionate about it. Like I don't do anything with mediocrity or mediocrity. Like I put everything I have into this. Cause I believe in it hundred percent. And like, I want to fight to get that moment. And like, there's so many times where I want to give up and I would just picture that moment. And I mean, I say a lot of things, it's so dynamic. There's so many dynamics to it. Of what kept me going. That was a really special thing that I wanted that moment with him and, you know, with everybody. And so, yeah, uh, I lived that moment a million times in my head. I cried about that moment on the road, just waiting for it. So when I got there, I'd already been there. Uh, mm-hmm. All I wanted to do was leave. And I'm really bummed about that. I wish I would have got pictures. We, there's no final, there's no finish line picture with everybody or with him. Like I'll always regret that. I'll always be upset at myself for not getting that. And so that's where I think like the end message is like, just take your time, man. Like take as many pictures as you can along the way. Cause you're not going to be able to relive those moments or be there with those people and just celebrate the people you're with 
And so it was really special being able to sit down with people after that and just share time with them. And that's what it was all about. Just mm-hmm. slowing down life and being able to and celebrate it with people. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was very anticlimactic, but at the same time, like I'm never going to forget it. Yeah, so, of course not. Maybe never. it wasn't. Anything else. I think that was the part is where, like we said, like the ego gets you to the start, gets you to the, to toe the line, but it's that intrinsic value or the extrinsic value that gets you to cross it. And, at that point, my ego had disappeared. Like mm-hmm. ego, the ego part of me would have been like, yeah, I did it. I did it. But it was like, nah, man, we did it. Like we're here as a family, man. Like not one person is going to cross that finish line alone. Like we're, I'm not going to like, yeah. So yeah. it's about family, man. It's about everybody coming together and there's just special. So yeah, dude. So cool. So cool. Yeah. Well, listen, um, people still able to donate to uh, yeah. bigger than the trail throughout or how does this work at this point i know yeah. there, there, there's talks of a movie coming out but we don't know for sure how it's all going to shake out but um, right. can people still donate yeah so i still have my website up where people can donate to that and kind of you know help get you know the funds going for everything um and then also bigger than the trail i still have the link on my page for that where people can donate to and uh again like the beautiful part about that is a lot of people reached out to me with a lot of heavy stuff, things that they're going through and thinking about, you know, suicidal tendencies and whatnot, um, or suicidal ideations. Um, but they can reach out to bigger than the trail. And that's where I can be that funnel and that segue to, Hey, we all, we need, we need that one person. If I can be that one person for you, beautiful. Keep talking to me. I'm always going to reply. I'm always going to be there. I'll give my number out probably to meet people who more people than I should, but, uh, I'm always going to be there for somebody. I'd rather people call me and harass my number than, uh, you know, then take their own lives. So I mean, harassing in like the kind way. Um, yeah. But for things I can't handle professionally, that's where I always want to be like, hey, we can be friends and talk to me. I'm always going to be there, be your biggest supporter and biggest fan. But bigger than the trail can actually give you that professional help and three months free. Like, you don't have to worry about can't the stress wrong. of finances. Um, I actually just contacted them for my own, you know, personal well being because nice. I'm not doing it right now, you know, like. Yeah. It was a big step. I used to go to therapy. Uh, you know, it's expensive in the States. So I stopped doing it, especially when I started getting ready for this. I needed to save money. So I stopped and I just contacted them last week when I was going through a lot of stuff and reached back out and started therapy again with them myself. And so that's where, you know, three months for free, like yeah. try it out, see how you feel. Like I, I know it'll help, you know, if not, yeah. you didn't, you didn't lose anything, you know? Yep. You only gain something. So why not? So that's why I really want to help, like really want to help raise money for them to be able to afford, to be able to give people therapy for free. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I love it, dude. Um, I'm late for work. I got a roll, dude. Justin true. You're a badass. You're a beautiful soul. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep inspiring people. Keep turning people on to, to doing crazy things and, and helping people with their mental health. I love it. I'm all about it, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you a lot. I appreciate you being uh, having me on here just to be able to share some of this. And yeah, man, always good talking to you. Anytime. It's always a pleasure to sit here and listen to the stories, man. I could do this all day, but <laughs> I got to roll. Likewise. All, all right. right. Thanks, brother. Stay in Thank touch. You. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. okay. Bye. Later. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what we are doing at Big Things Crewing or you enjoy the podcast, please consider donating to us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash do big things is where you can drop a dollar in the hat, so to speak. I'd like to thank our loyal Patreon subscribers. Without you guys, this isn't possible. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
I'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, Exoskin. Their running apparel keeps you comfortable in absolutely any condition. Say goodbye to chafing and blisters. Check them out, exoskin.us. Use our discount code, capital BTC, for 15% off. I also want to tell you guys real quick about Bigger Than the Trail. Bigger Than the Trail is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization that is using trail running as a platform to advocate for mental health. If you've ever thought about getting therapy but aren't in the position where you can afford it or you don't have insurance, Bigger Than the Trail offers you free therapy for three months. Yes, you got it. I said it. You heard it right. I couldn't love what these guys are doing more. I signed up for it. It was quick. It was easy. Within 48 hours, I had a a therapist that met all my pre-requirements. It was all matched up with me and met my personal criteria. And I met with her every week for, I don't know, a couple months. And, uh, you know, I, I, I met with her until I felt a little bit better. And, uh, you know, I'm trying this thing. You guys should try this thing. And, you know, we can all do it together. Look up Bigger Than the Trail, sign up for the services, and let's do the small things in life that eventually lead us to doing the big things. Let them know we sent you. Also, we want to thank Alter Ego Running. They make premium performance hats. Everyone needs a good lid or two when you're out running on an epic adventure. Uh, These hats should be your go-to on everyday runs epic adventures, and just cruising around town. Check out Alter Ego Running. Use our promo code, capital, all caps, do big things, and that's for 20% off. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing, the finest non-alcoholic craft beer in the market. Check out athleticbrewing.com and use my discount code, McRobertsA20, all caps, for 20% off the finest non-alcoholic beer around. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. Remember guys, life is short. Do big things, baby. Pedro, take us for a run.